to Ernest Goes to Podcast, the only podcast that focuses exclusively on that magical period of history when the world was enveloped in the majesty of beloved American icon Ernest P. Worrell, as portrayed by the criminally underrated Jim Varney. This is episode 10, Ernest Rides Again. I'm your host, Aaron, and this is my lovely co-host, David. I'm here. I'm ready to ride. And joining us, making her triumphant return to Ernest Goes to Podcast, is our friend, Elisa. Hey, Elisa. Hey, thanks for having me. Welcome back, Elisa. It's already been quite the ride. I know. Elisa last joined us in episode three, Ernest Saves Christmas. But now you're back. Yeah, glad to be back. We don't actually need to go over your exposure to Ernest. For Elisa's exposure to Ernest, check out episode three. Last time on (laughs) Ernest Goes to Podcast. But it's mainly my fault, right? Uh, yes. Isn't it always? <laughs> Entirely this, your fault. <laughs> why is this even a question? So, this is an interesting movie. Yep. Disney has dumped us. We are wiping away the tears yeah, we, of our brutal, brutal... <laughs> we sat around with some Pine State ice cream and sort of rocked ourselves back and forth until I drank we... myself sick with purity eggnog. <laughs> So was this like a it's not you, it's me situation or what do you No, I think this entirely you and your box office returns. Uh, That was the situation. What, you didn't like the movie we made where uh, children get turned into wooden dolls and then a troll's head explodes (laughs) at the end? That wasn't uh, what you're looking for? You know, the public just doesn't know a good thing. That's true. There's no appreciation for an emotional story like Ernest's. The world wasn't ready for it. Yes. Sure. We'll we'll go with that. <laughs> I loved Scared Stupid. Oh, Whatever. Yeah. But apparently it didn't do so well. Disney dumped Ernest and Co. Yeah. But you know, they, they picked themselves up at the bootstraps, got back on board. Goodbye, Disney. Hello, Vancouver. Might you say they wrote again? Yeah, I was gonna say the, the title of we this film is that. such like an insidey inside joke. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke that only the crew gets, basically. The fact that it's called Ernest Rides Again. Because it has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> Maybe we should address that up front. I don't know if that's your plan, but having watched this, I cannot wrap my head around the title. Well, he does Every spend single... about 40 minutes writing a Revolutionary War but era canon. why is it again? Because there's a movie again, is why. <laughs> it's a, yeah. <laughs> It's an inside joke. But but no, you're right. Like every single, all my coworkers that I told I was watching this movie, they were like, oh, so it's a Western. And I was like, no. My favorite thing is that there's an interview where Jim Barney is talking to Chevy Chase, who for some reason is hosting the Tonight Show or something. And Chevy Chase is like, so what's next? And Jim Barney goes, Ernest rides again. Rides again? Rides again. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And it's not a Western. Like, he says it right. He doesn't wait for them to ask if it's a Western. He's just like, it's not. Yeah. It's not a Western. Actually, so this is interesting. We've been saying that each Ernest movie is a different genre. We have said that. I heard us. We've started to say that. So this, coming off of the scary movie, Ernest Rides Again from 1993, this one is kind of the buddy movie. See, that's interesting because I would characterize this as... You're going to say the adventure movie. That's exactly what I'm going to say. And I'm going to say cosmetically it's the adventure movie, but story-wise it's the buddy movie. Okay, I'll buy it. Or it's both, actually. It's the historical. That much less so. I think you mean hysterical. (laughs) It's Uh, the 100% truth historical. All truth in this one. This is very interesting to me because this movie basically has a Vern. There's a Vern in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Ernest spends the movie with his buddy. Dr. Abner Mellon. (laughs) 
Dr. Abner <laughs> Mellon. We already said that Vern is a well-read, educated man. Sure. That was uh, that was my headcanon. He was... We can infer yeah. that. Doctor- he was an older, smart guy who was the neighbor. Dr. Mellon does wear yeah. a sweater vest, I believe. And Ernest always talks to Vern as if he's trying to impress him and sound erudite and yeah. sophisticated. And now it makes sense to imagine Vern as like a professor character. And there's an interview where Jim Barney explicitly refers to this character as a Vern character, which is pretty interesting. He's Vern-esque. I mean, I don't know that he's quite Vern. I think a, a large element of Vern is the silence. But this this character, it is an interesting foil to Ernest. You know, we've had we've had a couple of kids. We've had uh, Santa Claus, obviously. Of course. As the Ernest compatriot. But no, Dr. Mellon, um, he's a new type of character. He, he's got some of the Vern to him, but I think he's also kind of his own thing. Well, yeah. I mean, he's not specifically Vern, but he is a Vern. And the closest character you will ever get to Vern in the Ernest universe. Closest, like on screen, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, usually it's funny because usually we start with Ernest's occupation. What is he this time? This time we don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, I. <laughs> construction worker. No. No? See, I thought that at first. And but then... he's not the construction worker. He sure knows a lot about tools. He does. And brands of tools. That could just be from reading like the local newspaper and be like, oh, what's on sale this week? He's just a power tool enthusiast. It's uh, it's his middle name. It's his middle name. Yeah. So the premise of this movie, let me just give you the premise of this movie. In this movie, Ernest and his friend, Dr. Abner Mellon. He's got two PhDs. Who has two PhDs and is a professor at Quentin University in Virginia. They find a Revolutionary War era cannon in which... In which the crown jewels of England are hidden. Call a spade a spade. A Revolutionary War era cannon underground somehow, which has the real crown jewels of England in it. Because, of course, the ones in England are fake. I mean, come on, guys. We all know this. And also the story of why they were brought over here was to intimidate the colonists. (laughs) That's right. Which, one of my notes I wrote down was, King George deserved to lose the colonies. (laughs) (laughs) That is all. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, that's the story. The adventure part of the story is Ernest fancies himself like an Indiana Jones. Very explicitly. Calls himself Indiana Jones several times yeah. and he takes Dr. Mellon on this quest to find this cannon with the crown jewels of England yes. inside. That's where we are. It's crazy. But but no one believes him. Also, I'll point out the plot is strikingly similar to National Treasure. No one <laughs> believes him that there's this secret of part not. of history and they are the, the reputation of the university is at stake and, and this man's career, of oh, course, it's because... In, it's in shambles. It's in shambles and the university is going to fire him because of his crackpot theory. <laughs> so is Dr. Mellon, is he the Nicholas Cage yes. role? Yeah, he absolutely is. Ernest, why do I hang out with you? <laughs> First, we have to talk about the opening time titles of this movie before any of this happens. Yes. The opening have... titles are amazing. I love these. I and, love this song. It's and, been in my head all day. And finally, we have the theme song of our illustrious podcast. That's right. Which I had never seen the context for before. There once was a man named Worrell, an amazing song that tells the tale of Ernest P. Worrell, the most moral, upstanding, amiable folk hero. I think my favorite joke in this song is they're talking about like what a great celebrated hero Ernest is. And there's a part where they just say he's inside as if to imply that like he's a hero that's inside all of us. But then the backup singers just say he went inside like, oh, yeah, he's in the other room. I like it. <laughs> it made me like, laugh. where do you go? I, I wrote down that my favorite lyric was, his skin is smooth and tawny. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Oh, I love it. His skin is smooth and tawny. His skin is smooth and tawny. Oh. Not really. Not really. 
not really. Then this is another. Is this our our, our beloved Bruce Arntzen? Bruce Arntzen. Yep. And Kirby Shellstad again from together Ernest again. Scared Stupid. They wrote the music together for Ernest Scared Stupid. They wrote it for Ernest Rides Again. Kirby and Bruce Ride, Ride again. again. Right again. And we should mention again that this is the first of the movies that were shot in Vancouver. And uh, so, what does that mean for our cast? It means it's cold. <laughs> Which eh. translates to long sleeve Ernest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Sorry, no Art. best arm scene this time, folks. <laughs> If you know what I mean. But anyways. It also means that a number of our beloved Ernest Company players are not Nowhere present. Nowhere to be found. No Jackie Welch. Yeah. No Daniel Butler in the cast, at least. And no Gaylord Sertain or Bill Berge. Yeah, no Chuck and Bobby, guys. Sorry. Yeah. But, you know, we have other characters have, entering the picture. We have and other I'm, actors. I'm curious to see which of these return and which don't. The only one I know does return is because of uh, your allusions to the, the quote, Linda Cash trilogy. <laughs> Linda which, Cash is this return. the first film of that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Who does she play? She's the wife? The only woman in this movie. I think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're right. The wife. So yeah, after the amazing opening titles, which are animated again by Barbara Lazuski, and it's like this amazing Monty Python-esque, it's like, very Python-esque. Ernest's head pasted into historical drawings. Yeah. It's great. You should I, watch I it like just the, for that. Uh, the operating theater is my favorite of them. <laughs> <laughs> Keep an eye out for that one. He is brave Sir Robin. Starts with a little cartoon canon. It's great. And then we immediately go into Ernest the Adventurer. Well, he describes himself as Indiana Worrell, a treasure hunter. He, he's looking for what he says is treasure with a metal detector. And he, he's doing it alone, but he is pretending to be other people going on the adventure with him. Like he's pretending to have a company of men with him. I mean, it's essentially like Davy Worrell, right? It's like pretending to be like a big group of guys when it's yeah. really just you. But it's just pop and cookie. Yeah. And the sacred treasure of Nefertiti lies just within our grasp. Uh-uh. Don't want to be taking nothing from no Nefertiti. She might in particular about that jewelry. And Nefertiti? Yeah, I remember Nefertiti. She used to drive a 36 Chrysler. He makes a reference to a 36 Chrysler. Yeah. Because Pop is just a bunch of Mad Libs and 36 Chrysler is in there. Pop is a conundrum that I will <laughs> never unravel. And now this really is for no one's benefit at all. Immediately, I was like, Ernest, are you okay? Well, like, I... this is the most... Ernest, are you okay? Opening ever. I was immediately like, oh, okay. If I was just like Joe Average and I walked into Ernest's garage in Ernest Scared Stupid and he was talking to Kenny, this is what I would actually see. It's just Ernest talking to himself in a bunch of different places without the costumes or lighting or cinematography of the things. Although Cookie has a hat and Pop has a hat. Sure. Because Jim Varney needs a hat to be a different character. <laughs> he does. It's like Ernest just binge watched the Indiana Jones movie it immediately like before this film film started. He is now like, I'm an explorer. He really is a kid. He, I watched Indiana Jones playing. and now I'm going to go play. Yeah, exactly. He, he has a metal detector, which has like a headset. That's pretty so normal. Can- yeah. I, I did some metal detecting in my time. <laughs> so yeah, you're an it's, expert. How, it's how you hear like the pings, right? Yep, yeah. yeah. So he's walking around with his headset metal detector and he is narrating the entire thing. He, he is playing. He's like a child. He's playing explorer. He says that he's looking for like... Cleopatra's crystal skull. With a metal detector? No, Ernest. But <laughs> the thing is, he's not really looking for Cleopatra's crystal skull. He's just looking for whatever he can find. But he's making his own fun and pretending that he's looking like he finds the tab off the top of a soda can yeah a diamond of this brilliance and quality could only have come from one source 
from the diamond necklace which surrounds Cleopatra's crystal skull. And then he finds, like, I couldn't identify it, but some metal thing with, like, a spring under it that he says is Cleopatra's crystal skull. It's obviously not. We should also say, you know, we're saying he's metal detecting. He's not using, like, you know, go oh, to Home no, Depot no, no, and no, buy no, a metal no. detector. Of course oh, not. Oh, heavens no. <laughs> he's... he's using the Ernest P. Worrell kludge together <laughs> insano mad science metal it's detector right. with, like, all sorts of gizmos and gadgets on the side. And he has written multiple warnings to himself sure. on the thing. Like, don't ever, never turn this dial past this point. Yeah. Which, of course, he does. Well, sure. Even though he wrote this. He knew to warn himself. I also love that he's labeled the left and right of his headset Right, right and, and other, other right. right. Yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> he's, Aww. <laughs> he's, I love when his he's playing with his metal detector and it makes a sound and he goes, oh, a soon-to-be-discovered marvel sings out its haunting love call. <laughs> like, he's just, he's saying the most wonderful things. He's just having a blast. Yeah, it's play acting. I want to hang out with this Ernest because he makes everything fun. Like, you will do a normal thing and then he'll narrate about how it's this big adventure and make a bunch of jumbled historical references that don't make any sense. You want to hang out with every Ernest. Mm, the scared, stupid Ernest I want to marry. Okay. Ernest rides again, Ernest. Marriage isn't entirely out of the question, but mainly I just want to hang out with him and have him narrate things that we do. I think I follow that. I feel like I need to make a flow chart of which <laughs> Ernests you have particular affections for. Every Ernest is different. So my feelings for every Ernest are a little bit different. Sure. It's complicated. That's your relationship status with Facebook. Yeah. With so we should say he's looking for uh, Cleopatra's crystal skull at a construction site. I'm sorry. Yes. We should say this is a construction site. There's a bunch of two by fours that are making like the frame of a house. Yeah. And he actually walks up to it and calls it the two by four temple of pine or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Uh, and then Ernest's arch nemesis, electricity, yeah. rears its ugly head. <laughs> this is insane. Because his dad is Thor. No, no, because electricity <laughs> hates him. Yeah. He just turns the dial on his metal detector past a certain point that he explicitly wrote a note to himself not to do that. The electricity magically shoots out of his metal detector yeah. and travels to the other power tools that are just sitting on the construction site. It essentially the, brings them to life. A nail gun and a gigantic circular saw both come to life through the power of Ernest's impossible luck. <laughs> and defy their own safety <laughs> things. Yeah. These sentient power tools proceed to chase Ernest around the construction site, which again is a bunch of two by fours where people are starting to build a house. The house frame becomes like a series of dominoes. <laughs> this is the opening scene of this movie, and my note on this is just electricity already? <laughs> already. Like we like we just we just got here. Can Ernest just like breathe for 30 <laughs> seconds before something happens where the electrical powers that be play nefarious games on him. And he's really aware of it this time because he says like, why are you doing this? Oh yeah, he's, he's talking directly to the power tools. <laughs> Every time a power tool cops an attitude, I get blamed. They're gonna blame me for all this. What are you doing this to me for? He becomes increasingly self-aware of the cartoon world that he alone inhabits. Well, this is very re reminiscent of jail. Ernest is hanging out somewhere doing his thing when somehow through the power of electricity, <laughs> inanimate objects spring to life and start like messing with him. Yeah. For 
some reason. Poor Ernest. He's trying to appeal to the power tools like sense of decency. Like, come on, just like, they're going to blame this on me. Like, don't do this. Yo, he's saying like, I'm not your enemy. Like, yeah. it's really sad. He's right. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> this is when he starts dropping brand names like the good pitch man that he is. <laughs> you know what I love is that there are construction workers at the site before he arrives because I guess he wants to look at the loose soil mm-hmm. to find things in the that he can dig up. So he waits for the construction workers to leave, but he calls them Makita warriors. Yes, because Makita <laughs> is a brand of power tools. Oh my God, you're right. I didn't even think no, about that. No, Makita warriors. Yeah, it is. And that's what it he totally insists is. on yeah. calling them. That's what I mean. He makes everything he, fun. I forget yeah. the context, but he also mentioned skill, which is another brand. Oh, really? I think he says, I got a nice little skill saw at home. That's what he says. Yes. He's trying to like that's appease funny. the... Because yeah. I definitely wrote in my notes, like, what are Makita warriors? Like, no, is that Makita like a is a real... brand of, yeah, of power tools. I didn't put that together. <laughs> Oh, Ernest. So this thing chases him around. The nail gun shoots nails at Ernest's head. Yeah. They can't do it's, that. They're trying to kill him. Nail guns don't work that way. Good thing it hit the hard end. Meaning his head. Yeah. <laughs> like, it shoots nails into his hat, and you're like, oh, God, he's dead. It's the first five minutes, he's dead. He takes his hat off, which is, by the way, shocking to the system. Yeah, that happens a couple of times in this movie. I feel like the first time he takes off the hat, it's like to prepare us for the second time he takes off the hat. <laughs> like, just so everyone knows, this is what Jim Varney's head looks like. This can happen. Don't now. freak out. And by the way, his hair, gorgeous. Oh my God. That actually, we're establishing that Ernest can't die. This is setting up things that are going to happen later. About Ernest being basically invulnerable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's fine, but he falls into a big hole. It's very Buster Keaton. Yeah. Like parts of houses falling on him and stuff. A bit. But it's like we a sad Buster We would have picked Buster the same Keaton. script. <laughs> he falls into a hole where he finds a metal plate boomerang that is shaped like a boomerang yeah a, a genuine prehistoric television antenna component oh <laughs> Ernest. He, he also refers to the buzzsaw that he's just defeated as the serpent of endless teeth <laughs> i didn't <laughs> catch that so one. poetic he's, yeah this is what i mean man yep and then he's like wait till dr melon sees this mm. and then the construction workers come back right <laughs> they come back with their chinese food ernest is like makita warriors i love that he's dubbed them makita warriors yeah he runs away and these poor guys are just like what the hell happened because their entire site is demolished well, and as he's running away he's yelling like believe it or not i didn't do this the saw <laughs> did it i just watched <laughs> doesn't he say he was framed he does At some say point, that. he yeah. like, sticks Amazing. his head between two planks and he goes, I'm going to get framed. Yeah, womp womp. <laughs> oh, Ernest. I love, he's always aware of the puns he can make, even oh, as, yeah. as tragedy is happening. So then we're introduced to Dr. Mellon, okay? So Dr. Abner Mellon, who's sort of like Rick Moranis, he's tiny and he's got a little bow tie and a little sweater vest and his little professor jacket. He's vaguely Colbert-esque. Too, I thought Colbert in like uh, Strangers with a Candy. He's like very professorial. Yeah, I got totally Rick but Moranis. I get the Rick Moranis thing too. I got Rick Moranis from it. Yeah. Uh, it crossed my mind. I actually think this actor is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Abner Mellon, we've talked in the past about the, the telling nature of Names, names in the Uranus yeah. universe is he called Dr. Mellon just because like he's a smart professor so he has like a giant brain and like his head is his melon I don't know that's what I got I thought that, of that. I, that literally just, I just occurred to it me it just to me sounded like a harmless yeah, kind, kind of a goofy, funny name it sounds name. funny yeah. to constantly say Dr. Mellon yeah, yeah. Dr. Mellon it's yeah. just poor Dr. Mellon he's such a slub and he's kind of the Marcus Brody to uh, Ernest's Indiana Jones he's a history professor right so he's in front of the board of trustees and they're basically yelling at him because I guess he 
he's been talking about this theory he had. He wrote this long paper about the Revolutionary War, and he says that there was a 314th regiment of soldiers that were called like the Green Mountain Regulars, and Love that, that coffee, and that they stole the crown jewels of England and hid them in one of their cannons. Correct. And they're yelling at him like, "That's stupid. Don't. <laughs> that belongs in the English department." Because <laughs> it's fiction. <laughs> I mean, they're kind of correct. Until it's proof, yes. Right. So they yell at him. They're like, stop talking about that crackpot stuff. They threaten to fire him. This scene has like a weird, there's like a weird, it's not anti-academia, but it's like anti, like there's some sort of- It's anti-establishment. It's like this, like an indictment of like the education system where it's like, you teach the curriculum. You don't teach whatever like theories you're working on. Yeah, stuff like I that. mean, nonsense. Yeah. History. Yeah. <laughs> and then like- Hogwash. Uh, someone makes like a, an allusion like shortly thereafter to like the infighting in academia. Well, that's what happens. Like after the meeting, the one person that shows some support to Abner is Dr. Radnor Glencliffe, the obvious villain of the movie. I don't know what you mean. Because there's evil music behind him when he talks. <laughs> That's like the only way we know right now. Like he doesn't say anything other than, hey, Dr. Mellon, I think your theory has some validity to it. He says, I know there's a lot of infighting in academia, but it's only because the stakes are so small. He knows exactly how to play to Dr. Mellon's like... Insecurities. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Dr. Like, Mellon is desperate for somebody to vindicate playing him. Playing him like a fiddle. He, Dr. Glencliffe is like... Well, that would mean that the crown jewels residing in the Tower of London are fakes. And the real jewels are hidden inside a cannon somewhere in Virginia. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. I mean. Of course they are. Clearly. Basically, this guy's like, you, maybe it would be cool if you found those jewels. Not that I'm interested in, in wealth or anything. And I think uh, Dr. Mellon says something like, oh, you're a good man. And I'm just like, oh, Dr. Mellon, he's got you right where he wants you. You know who's a good man? Ernest. He's, he's all right. So Ernest shows up at the university in his pickup truck. We still have no idea what his occupation is. Maybe he's Spoiler a handyman. Alert, we there. never do. <laughs> yeah. No, we kind of do at the end. Do we? Well, we find out his new job. <laughs> Spoilers. We'll get there. This Again, I was like, Ernest, are you okay? He's picking up things out of his truck and he's saying mosquito spray that'll get them and he picks up blasting something caps picks up something and he goes blasting caps it's a bag of peppermint lozenges <laughs> well mix that with some what coke. is happening is he okay yeah i think he's just still playing he's playing yes. right yeah. you know i was worried about him when i first started watching the movie i was worried i was concerned Sure. To Ernest's mental stability. As, as is often the case, you you have a maternal instinct for Ernest. I was that, concerned. I thought maybe yeah. something happened to him between the last movie and this. But like as I watched the movie, it's like, oh, he, he does know what's going on. He, yeah. he is playing. So then he sees his best buddy in the whole world, Dr. Abner, come through. And it is like an ad. It's like, hey, it's not yeah. Vern, but it's, hey, Dr. Mellon. He walks up and Ernest says, what's new in the history biz? Because <laughs> yep. he's adorable. <laughs> yep. Well, why the long face? I thought you were a hysterical professor. Oh, uh, look, uh, no time for games today, okay? Ernest actually does this thing a couple of times to Dr. Mellon where he does the thing where it's like, what's that on your shirt? And like points to it and then puts his finger and pokes him in the nose. That felt very out of character to me. But he did that in jail. But he did it to take on the affectation of like, a tough guy. Here he's just kind of like, why? He's trying to be friends with this guy like and he's doing it in a stupid way. Like Dr. Mellon asks like, Ernest, why do you insist on playing these outdated sophomoric pranks? And I was like, that's a good question. He's just trying to be friendly. I guess. It didn't feel like Ernest, but... It didn't seem unearnesty to me at all. He's just trying to be someone's friend and being kind of oblivious to, you know, that he's just doing things that annoy them. I guess. And he goes, speaking about dated, and he pulls out his boomerang that he found. So he actually throws it. He knows it's not a boomerang, but he says it would be a great boomerang. He throws it, and it comes back, and it actually hits 
this historical book that Dr. Mellon is carrying, of course, and it, like, destroys it. He shouldn't have taken it out of the campus you know, building. It just establishes that Ernest kind of wreaks havoc on Dr. Mellon's life on the regular. That brings up something that occurred to me while I was watching this movie, which was this scene really does imply that, like, Ernest is constantly with the professor and like this is just a snapshot yeah. and it kind of made me think that like whatever position Ernest is in in life or wherever he's living or whatever he's working on it's always kind of a routine status quo and then the films that we get are like the one day where something weird happens <laughs> yeah. that breaks up that status quo and so there's always these implications that like Ernest is always kind of doing the same thing with the same people like in jail it's implied that like he's constantly this like, happens every day he's constantly waking up in the, the vault and Charlotte and him kind of have the same conversations over and over. And then it's like the one day where like the routine is broken is what we get, which is interesting. Dr. Mellon actually takes a closer look at this metal thing and he's like, hey, what is that? And he actually decides that it might be important because it looks like a metal plate from a Revolutionary War era cannon. Sure. They actually take it to Dr. Mellon's history lab. Dr. Mellon's cleaning it off and like uh, getting rid of like metal corrosion or whatever so that he, he can read the numbers on he it. He said if there's certain numbers on it, it might be a sign like of the I think. pie. Yeah. That it would be proof that the Green Mountain regulars existed. We'll get our coffee. And he's like, yeah, it's a plate from a cannon. And it says 314. He's like, oh, it's true. My theory is true. The Green Mountain regulars really existed. It's so sweet because Ernest actually says, Well, see, I told you being buddies would pay off. Professional collaborators, perhaps. Ernest is is so lonely in this movie. He plays alone, and then he wants to play with someone, and they're like, not now, Ernest. Yeah. And he just wants to be friends with this guy desperately. Every he's trying to prove that he's a worthwhile friend to have. Every other day is like Ernest finding like another weirdo object Aww. in that construction site and be like, look, I found this. And Dr. Mellon is like, yeah, 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 fine. But then this is finally the day where Ernest finds a thing that is legit. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like in the past he's bringing him bottle caps and saying, I yeah. found it's treasure. Very sweet. And and Dr. Mellon's just been humoring him. Yeah. And oh, it, Makes it, you it wonder paid off. Man. It did. Ernest said it would pay off. He's like, one day I'll find something useful. And he goes out there every day with his metal detector looking for things for Dr. Mellon. So sweet. And we should say, <laughs> while Dr. Mellon's cleaning this thing, oh, yeah, yeah. Ernest <laughs> is eating a sandwich that he oh. sort of obliviously puts steel wool onto. Oh. Oh, God. And then takes a big yes. swig of this the was acid hard for bottle. Because yes. Jim Barney is just chewing on a steel wool pad. There's no way that's not a prop. You would cut your mouth open so badly. It looks to me like he put it in his mouth. Method actor. Whatever the prop is, he definitely put it in his mouth. I refuse to believe that that's <laughs> actually steel wool. I don't know. I really don't know. No. I hope no, it no, wasn't. No, no, no. No. He would spit out blood. I'm sure that what he drinks is not actually acid. Correct. This is a thing that starts happening a lot in Ernest movies. Well, Ernest will obliviously pick up something else that is right next to the thing he actually wants but looks exactly the same that's interesting and is that's labeled kind of poison or acid oh get used to it <laughs> and and so he's chewing on the steel wool sandwich and then he imbibes acid at which point he starts foaming at the mouth this is horrifying yeah <laughs> it really is it's interesting that you're reacting this way to this gag because i was like this is the pen scene from jail all over again um, it's like no, just super gross again that, no because a that would cut his mouth b that looks sure. it looks incredibly painful Oh, yeah. That's why it was horrifying to me. And the, the ink is harmless. This looks like it could hurt Ernest and possibly Jim Barney, which and I'm like it's freaking not, out. That's it's fair. horrifying. That's fair. It's like one of them would be enough. But no, no, no. He has to go cut his mouth and then fill it with acid. Oh, sure. 
it's like a little too far. It's the only way to be sure. I mean, his chewing face is just yeah. So I, I think that's what made me think of the ink. I was just like, oh. he's like, oh. so he spits it out, and it actually starts to dissolve the wall. It doesn't dissolve Ernest, but it like because <laughs> he's a cartoon. He's fine, but yes, there is a 314th regimen. They found a plate from a cannon. Someone asked if it's been carbon dated. Yeah, so so they go to visit Doctor Radner Glencliffe immediately. They go to show him this plate. Right? Mm. And by the way, Dr. Rather Glencliffe's office has a bunch of antiquities that are like Cleopatra's, like Dr. Admiral points at something. He goes, hey, it's Cleopatra's. And Ernest says, it's a, it's a tube top. <laughs> He's like, tube top? Yeah. But then Dr. Vellum points at another thing. He goes, Ben Franklin's kite. Yeah. That is not Ben Franklin's kite. Stop. That, this sort of office. His office is nuts. His off, this, this sort of office of historical objects is such like a cliche trope. And I'm just like, this never seems like a good idea. Uh, yeah, just have him out. A, nothing is protected. B, yeah. are you like climate controlling your office? That seems really <laughs> Really uncomfortable to work in. Yeah, because there's also a mummy in there. It's just like, like a, a testament to hubris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at all these things I bought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Abner and Dr. Glencliffe start having a conversation where, yes, Dr. Radner asks him, like, is this carbon dated? And you he's like, no, but the marks are so you obvious. You can't carbon date metal. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> You've got science during his rides again. This is true. Oh, yeah, you can only carbon date organic, organic material. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so Dr. Yeah. Glenn so for, for all its historical accuracies, this movie is scientifically inaccurate. Really? They, they should be I ashamed didn't... of themselves. themselves. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Dr. Glencliffe is just a fraud. He's a fraud. <laughs> he's he's just... a, this is the absolute proof that he is a fraud. <laughs> he's an evil person. He's got thugs. Like, why do you need thugs if you're a history professor? You don't. I mean, he's essentially filling the role of, I can't remember the character's name, but from uh, Last Crusade, who's like, oh, yes, I'm a, I'm a history, I'm a collector of artifacts. And then he just turns out to be, spoiler alert, a Nazi who's trying to get the <laughs> Holy Grail. Yeah, so he's a Nazi. Yeah. And while Dr. Glencliffe and Abner are having a conversation, Ernest is just wandering around the office, which, again, is full of priceless historical artifacts. Yeah. And Ernest finds the mummy especially interesting, specifically the necklace it's wearing. He, like, pokes at it, and, like, the rib just, like, caves in. Yeah, like, something, like, keeps, like, flipping off. It's one of the ribs. Yeah. It pops off, and he starts to push it back, and then he just, like, crushes the entire chest yeah. <laughs> uh, Why is this not behind and glass? And then the arm falls off, right? And Ernest just like sticks it in the chest hole. <laughs> <laughs> and then like hilariously like makes all these faces like no one saw that. Like This will like, fool no one. <laughs> this will fool them if they don't look at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just makes all these sheepish faces as he like tiptoes away from it. And Dr. Glencliffe is saying like, basically telling Dr. Mellon like, oh, well, this is actually a start. You know, this this like cannon plate is a start, but like for real proof, I would need like the crown jewels of England. Then I could validate your entire theory and save your Academic your reputation career, at yeah. this university. So then Ernest interrupts them because the mummy is basically <laughs> falling to pieces. It's hard. It's weird to say this, but Ernest is pretty self-aware in this movie. He knows when he's going to get in trouble. He knows weird things happen to him. He knows that what he just did is bad and he needs to get out of there right away. Like he's not as clueless in this movie. I think that's true. And I think even like the play acting that he does is there's a self-awareness a, to a, it self-awareness yeah. yeah where he's just kind of like oh yeah like the nonsense that i'm constantly saying like this time like i'm he's almost kind of like in on the joke more yes he is he 
pulls Dr. Abner away, like, drags him out of the office, and he's, like, saying goodbye to Glenn Cliff. He's like, oh, he's like, as they say in the history biz, we're history, like, ha-ha. And he, <laughs> and he leaves, and Dr. Mellon's like, why did you do that? And he, he basically references Indiana Jones. He's like, remember when Indiana, like, grabs the, the idol and the rock starts rolling after him? We have that kind of situation here. Yeah. <laughs> and they, like, come back to inside the office, and the mummy just dissolves. dissolves essentially, yeah. Just, it crumbles to dust. Yeah. The, the mummy crumbling music <laughs> made <laughs> me really happy. I love Ernest's like Indiana Jones reference because it's apt. Oh, yeah. But then we actually meet another character. Actually, three more characters. The, yes. And there, there are a lot of characters in this movie. This, but, I will say this might be my favorite B-plot of all the Ernest movies <laughs> yeah. I've seen so far. That's interesting. Okay. I love this B-plot. <laughs> interesting. You know, maybe it's that they grow on you, but I do like these characters. <laughs> I love I, them. I do like them. We meet Dr. Mellon's wife, Nan, and these two salesmen who sell Mighty Workboy house cleaning products, no, which like, I call them, I just call them the Mighty Workboys. They do have names. Yep. Good morning, man. Fine morning. Nice car. Pay cash? You know, unless this is the cure for the common cold, fellas, I'm afraid you're wasting your time. (laughs) But they're basically these two salesmen that essentially share a brain. Yes. And they finish each other's sentences. They alternate words. Yeah, they don't finish each other's sentences. They alternate words. It's amazing. <laughs> the amazing, mighty workboy bug fogger. It comes to a total of two hundred and thirty-five dollars and sixteen cents, and that's American money. <laughs> good luck to you both. Yeah. These guys have good timing. This is a bit that they can do together. They're like a comedy duo. They do. And they were like, "Hey, let's get these guys to do their bit in this movie." That's what it feels like. I feel like they they have a rapport and they've been doing this the thing two actors, together. You mean? Yeah, I believe that too and i mean while we were watching this i suggested that like this role seemed like it might have been like a chuck and bobby thing not in terms of like how the characters are played but just like their purpose in the movie well yeah you need to some more wacky characters like we need a duo who's going to be kind of like the b-plot story and yeah like, i feel like it was easy to like okay well we can't get chuck and bobby for this for i guess location reasons so let's get these other two guys who have a similar rapport and kind of have a shtick that can work in this position yeah and then we've got Linda Cash, the introduction of Linda uh, Cash. Yes. And so I would say, yes, this is the start of the Linda At Cash. Last we meet, Miss Cash. <laughs> this is the start of the Linda Cash trilogy. She shows up in three Ernest movies. This is the first. <laughs> and just to be clear, this nomenclature of the Linda Cash trilogy is something that you have entirely pulled out of thin air. Yeah. Okay, just making sure I, that it's... She's in three movies. Yes, So I it. call it the Linda Cash trilogy. Gotcha. And Disney made four movies, so I call them the Disney Four. Like, got it, got This it. is all very logical. No, no, no. We have it to all, call all, things it all, things. It all makes sense. I'm just like the Linda Cash trilogy. It's it wasn't. It wasn't like anywhere. it wasn't like a production thing. No, 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 no. So <laughs> um, unless it was, who knows? I think it was. I, I was gonna say if I was gonna believe anyone knew, <laughs> I would believe Erin knew. She probably just worked well with them. Yeah. She's playing Abner's wife. Her, her name is Nan. She wears these ridiculous like sporty housewife outfits with like bedazzled jackets it, and it like she's very me flashy. A lot of um. Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, oh, she's yeah. like a flashy but Edward like, Scissorhands housewife. You know, but but like fashion wise, it is like five years later. It's yeah. very very accurate. If Edward Scissorhands was made in ninety three, flashy nineties housewife. It's yeah. spot on. And she's an interesting character. She's um a bulldozer, a ball buster. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, in her defense, like 
Abner is like at the beginning of this movie, he is like the nebishiest nebish. Oh yeah, you no, he totally seen. is. I mean, but that's interesting why he's paired with her. She's like the the strongest, it's like, like opposite to track bulldozer. Kind of yeah, she's the yeah. complete opposite to Abner. She's like a bulldozer woman, just yep. like stomps over everything to get her way, and he is just like the the most passive little like. He's almost like like he he should almost talk like this. Uh, like he's got like a, he's droopy a droopy dog. Voice. He's yeah. a droopy dog. Or he actually reminded me like I kept thinking that he was the voice actor that played Piglet. But he's, <laughs> he he's totally like he's totally went. not but i kept thinking that but these mighty work boy guys like they're trying to sell her like a vacuum cleaner or something they will be together for the entire movie but basically yeah. she slams the door in their face she goes into the house and abner is there and she the way that she interacts with interesting she like babies him she's combing his hair with her fingers and like straightening his little bow tie and like yeah. constantly like petting him and like wiping shibuts off his face it's just like their relationship is like the infantilization yeah. of dr abner she treats him like a little baby there's a widow blues. Let Nammy Nam make them all better. There. Absolutely. And she's like, how did your meeting go? And he was like, well, I, I will. And he, she just like, you embarrassed me again, didn't you? And <laughs> I feel for the guy a little bit. Like, all I, right. I, it made me laugh. And I also felt Maybe bad. Maybe let's not him. take your husband to task immediately. Like, And again, it's like, a stop hanging out with that Ernest. He's a bad influence. It is. She is. A, Dr. Mellon is essentially the 90s kid that's like, oh, stay away from that Ernest. He's a bad influence. Yeah. Finger wag. <laughs> Well, I mean, Dr. Abner is very close to being fired. Yes. But they make this point of she's like, she says that she bought a new car and he goes, on my salary. And she goes, Abner, don't yell at me. Like, <laughs> it's such a great, like. You gave, you gave Abner, like, the Greg voice from her, <laughs> yeah. the scared stupid. And by the way, she takes out what she has made for him for lunch or dinner, which is like this horrible 1950s lime jello concoction they do have like a strangely like nuclear family 50s yeah. husband and wife thing happening oh, don't get me started on jello salad jello in the 1950s man for some reason housewives thought that that was amazing my grandma still makes it it's, oh uh, i mean i'm sure it's like the jello cookbook like wasn't that a thing yes oh yeah. yes. yes it was Again, There's it's always 19- room for Jello, guys. It's 1993. Yeah, and she gives him chopsticks well, to eat this with. By but, the way, but also door-to-door salesman. Yeah, oh, this right. is very 1950. Yeah. This is a very um, interesting you know, death of a salesman vibe. This here. is a bubble. They're living in a some kind of hybrid universe. But yeah. even going to the professor wearing a bow tie and, and a, a sweater vest <laughs> and the Indiana Jones thing, we have a definite mid-century vibe throughout oh, this yeah. entire film. That's yeah. true. That's true. It is consistent. Interesting. But basically, this is just to establish, A, Abner's wife infantilizes him. B, she doesn't support his theories. It's just like showing like, look, look how emasculated Abner is. Yes, that is set up very well. <laughs> very well. Abner's whole journey in this is like to become a man, basically. Essentially, yeah. That's, I mean. Instead of Ernest. It's, that really is And it really is Ernest has to help Abner become a man. Like he gives him the confidence. Now that Ernest became a man in Ernest Scared Stupid, exactly. he and can I, help others along the same Ernest journey. Ernest seems very confident in his own masculinity in this movie. Ernest actually seems very confident in general in this movie. Yeah, I'll agree with that. He, well, he's not, he doesn't have like an entire town berating him he doesn't. for the stupidity of he's his forefathers. Much, people pretty much leave him alone in this movie. And he's got this other character that is so insecure and yeah. has such low confidence that Ernest really, in contrast, seems like really self-assured. Yeah. And like he's helping Abner become a man. Like even Abner's wife's name is Nan. We didn't even mention that. Like Nanny. Oh yeah. He, like she's his nanny. She treats him like a baby. It, it's like this is names. such a deep movie. The names. Once again. 
Ernest films prove to be much deeper than you might expect. You just need that deep dive. Yeah, yeah. You just need to go deep. You need just... to fall into a hole on a hill <laughs> and, and find the treasure. A cannon. Yeah. I mean, I just assumed it was Nancy, but no, they say Nan. Every... Yeah. I immediately took it as okay. She's the nanny. That's interesting. And yeah, this is the most confident Ernest. I like this Ernest again. I, to, you know, he's 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 eligible. <laughs> I'm just what saying, not mean? every Oy. Ernest is dateable, okay? Sure. But this one is. He's carbon dateable? <laughs> he is. Yeah, because he's organic. He's organic. Yeah. <laughs> Up top. But Abner, I would say, he is pretty uh, impressionable. He's very insecure. Like, even within one scene, like, he'll go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll be, like, all gung-ho, like, yeah. oh, well, let's actually get into that because- This is this scene. Like, yes. the next time you see him with Ernest, Abner goes back to school to teach. He's a professor. And Ernest is all excited. He's like, okay, so what, like, who are we going to sell our story to? Like, the Inquirer? Are you going to tell them about the 314th Regiment? He's psyched. Yeah. They made a discovery. And he's just like, I can't. I can't risk my tenure at the university. <laughs> this is, I love the things that Ernest says to convince him to go on this adventure with him because he says, come on, Dr. Mellon. This is how Ernest is really self-aware in this movie. He actually says through a stroke of incredibly dumb luck you have the chance to have a 40 pound adventure on a five pound test line i, I love, love that, that line, line. <laughs> you love that test line i do because it's true and it's just such a poetic way of saying it you very know, very earnest there's a definite like joseph campbellian aspect to Ernest, where he's like basically both literally and figuratively the hero with a thousand faces <laughs> And like in this movie in particular, he's kind of like the embodiment of the call to adventure, like that idea of like, okay, like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And meanwhile, the main character who, for all intents and purposes, is uh, Dr. Mellon is just like, no, I can't go on the adventure. My (laughs) wife said I can't go. He's like, Ernest, stop. Finding Goliath is nothing more than a fiction. Like, the way he talks is re- it's absurd. Yeah. Like, but Ernest is relentless in this movie. And, and like, he, he's like, well, I have faith in you, Dr. Mellon. That is actually what kind of touches Dr. Mellon. Because he's like, really? And like the smile that Ernest gives him is just like so genuine. Just my luck. Ernest P. Worrell is my only ally. As the day is long. Yep. <laughs> and like, and Ernest is like, come on, so are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? Like, he calls them all these, like, things. He's like, come like on. Like, all these duos, yeah. Stanley and uh, Livingston, Sonny and Cher. I mean, Dr. Mellon says, no, I'd have to have the brain of a six-year-old to even consider it. And again, Ernest is incredibly self-aware. He just, like, smiles at him, like, this really knowing smile. Like, <laughs> I know that's me. Ready when you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll go start up the truck. <laughs> So he convinces him. It's interesting because Tom, when we were talking about Hey Vern, it's Ernest, Tom said that he actually felt like Vern was a very impressionable character because Mm. he would go along with these things with Ernest. Yeah. And that seems like the kind of Vern that Dr. Mellon is. Interesting. He's like a Hey Vern, it's Ernest Vern. I can see that. Because he is going along with Ernest. It takes him convincing, but he goes. Yeah. And they go into Nan's new car, which Ernest wants to drive. See, I tell you, he likes driving. He does. Yeah, I thought about that too. He's like, I never get to drive drive new cars. cars. Yeah. And by the way, we get our first scene of the English. Yes, I, I, I was going to... Uh, the music cue. That music cue. It's like the most stock... We see Big Ben. Yeah. England. There's like a Chiron that comes up at the bottom that says like, London, England, with that picture and that music. And I was like, really? You don't say. And, and then is, later there's like another oh establishing God. shot of the Big Ben Tower that didn't have the Chiron. And I was like, Oh, where are we now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm lost. And there's two guys in a limo and they're just like, somebody's on to, somebody's Googling like the 13th, it's not Google, but somebody's looking up the 314th Regiment. Yeah. And they're like, oh, 
You know what this means? A change in the status quo. <laughs> That's British for status quo. That's a dig at the English. Yeah, it's it's, it's a playful dig. It's yeah. cute. So Dr. Mellon and uh, Ernest, they go to the construction site and they're waiting because the Makita warriors, as in the construction workers, are there. You know, it's funny because I'm looking at my notes and I literally spelled Makita just like the tools. That's because what it that's is. the only context this is the I only have. Makita. That was a slow burn once again. <laughs> they're sitting there and they're just like, wait, 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 wait. Now's not a good time. And then they leave for lunch. This, I mean, Ernest is like the one leading the adventure. Like, yeah. And he's mostly right. That's the weird thing about this movie. Like, he's pretty on point as to what they should do. And he really is like a magnet for craziness. Yeah, he is. Yeah. But the, the construction workers leave again for lunch. Why they would leave after what happened last time without saying like, oh, hey, Jerry, why don't you stay behind <laughs> yeah. while Keep we go get guard. lunch? Just to make sure that we don't all have to go get Chinese person food. in a khaki hat doesn't knock over <laughs> our entire project. What stuck out to me is that like they're sitting in the car and Ernst is like, yeah, that's where I found it right over there at that construction site. And I was like, oh. So you do know what's going on. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And I was like, oh, okay. Because he called it like the two by four Temple of Pine before. Yeah. But he does know what's going on. Yep. He's a dress up the language. Yeah. He's that, playing. This is where I started to catch on. I was like, oh, okay. Ernest is okay. Yeah. He's just. You could breathe again. Your, your baby was all <laughs> I, right. I, I, yeah. I was like, okay. He's all right. He's all right. <laughs> so they go over to the construction site and abner's got his own normal person looking metal detector oh man this is where the joke starts there's this one joke that goes through most of the movie earlier in the film when they're visiting dr glencliff abner says that dr glencliff is like an intelligent man that doesn't have like preconceived notions about history and oh, Ernest yeah. says i had a preconceived notion once but it turned out to be something i'd already thought of yeah this is a joke that happens three times <laughs> and it's following the journey of this joke to the movie is a particular delight to me so like now Abner's using his own metal detector. Right. He's like, this is a really great finding device. And Ernest is like, I had a finding device once. I lost it. <laughs> it's such a great joke. I can't think of if that's a reference to something like the, oh, I had X once. I don't know. It's just the structure of the joke that they use it three times in this movie. Yeah. The repetition of it is satisfying. But like, they're trying to detect metal. And then Ernest is like, let's just do it the old fashioned way. And he just basically like jumps up to the part of the house that he fell off earlier in the movie, just falls off again, yeah, and finds another artifact. By the way, it works. <laughs> it totally works. So this time he falls on the top of what they say is a cannonball. A really, really real cannonball. What I like is that they're looking at it, and Abner's like, I found something. And Ernest looks at it, and he goes, is it a hubcap? <laughs> and, and and I just realized that, like, oh, he's being serious. He's not using his, like, oh, it's the skull of whatever. Right. He switches it off. Because they're on a real adventure I know, now. I know. I was... He doesn't have to play because the adventure is real. It's great. It's almost like when he's metal detecting by himself, he has those aspirations of being, like, mm -hmm. a historian. And mm -hmm. then now and the his doctor, buddies. Now that Dr. Mellon is with him, it's like, okay, now this is, playtime's over. Now this is, like, the real thing. Really, really, really real. This movie, Ernest could be mistaken for being completely out of touch with reality. But then, like, if you pay attention to every little thing he says, he's actually not. Yeah. Which is, yes, I found it reassuring. But, like, he... Holy crap! We forgot the most amazing line! Oh, are you talking about... Oh, This is oh, the most self-aware oh, yes. line in any Ernest movie. Yes. This is how self-aware he is. When they find the cannonball, Ernest falls backwards into this this hole. Abner runs over and says, Ernest, are you dead? And Ernest says... Oh, I guess I would be if I weren't just that close to being an actual cartoon. 
Yes. Yeah, I that and that line happened. I was like, did I mishear that? Like, no, did he wait, say it? Did he look at the camera and wink at me? <laughs> I think he did. And the iris out around his face. <laughs> I was like, oh, he said it. He said the thing. <laughs> it made me so happy. I was like, okay, more than any other earnest, he completely understands what's going on. And at this point in the movie, Nan, Abner's wife, realizes that her car is missing from the driveway. And she's great because she's like, where's my car? She's like, Abner, no, it's not our car, it's my car. At which point I was like, all right, hold on a second, lady. <laughs> Let the guy drive the car. I just lo- I it's love- It's fine. I do like how unapologetically- Oh, yeah. She owns just- it 100%. Yeah, she might be a harpy. That's a good word. The worst, but she owns it, and I appreciate that she owns She's it. She's not the worst, but a bulldozer is the correct description. Yeah, I love this because she has to go somewhere. So she's like, oh, there's those two salesmen. They're yep. taking me. She walks right in front of their car. Yeah, it's not, like it's puts not her a hands question. out. It's not a question. Take me to the university. Yep. <laughs> I wish I had her confidence. I, that's why I appreciate her. So Abner and, and Ernest have found this giant cannonball, right? Yeah, they're trying to like triangulate the position that the cannonball came from, essentially. Right. So they're looking around like for the actual cannon. Right. Dr. Mellon is digging. Ernest is eating a gigantic sandwich. Yeah, I realized at this point that uh, Ernest's job in this movie is just to eat sandwiches. Oh, you know, this is the second time he eats a sandwich. Yeah, thankfully this one is not steel wool. No, it's huge though. It's like a hoagie. It is, it's yeah. Really- and then Ernest sees a little lizard. <laughs> and he gets distracted by it. And he becomes like enchanted by this lizard. Isn't this one of those little lizards that... When the tail falls off, it can grow another lizard. He starts asking, does it take a couple of weeks or is it overnight? Reasonable questions, I he's think. He's curious. Yeah, yeah, he's just inquisitive. Is this the part where Abner kind of gets like too aware of like the ridiculousness of what's yeah. happening? And he's like, how is this happening I, I to have, me? I have two PhDs. How is it that I'm here with a refugee from Sesame Street? Yeah. Which I was like, all I, right, hold on a second. I love that line. Dr. Mellon, <laughs> we don't have to throw Big Bird and Company under the bus just because you're feeling bad about yourself. That's not a dig at Sesame Street. It's a dig at Ernest. No, I know. But I was just like, <laughs> he's not good enough. Any one of us would be any one of us would be proud to be a refugee yeah. from Sesame Street. So let's let's watch our words. Here. Also, I surmised at this point that of uh, Dr. Mellon's two PhDs, one of them was in exposition. <laughs> He's like, he, I'm a professor. He, he went to grad school. <laughs> and Ernest like follows this lizard into this little hole where if you shout down to it, there's an echo. Ah. So Ernest is like, hey, Dr. Mellon, come see this. And he's shouting into this hole that echoes very loudly. Bud, Shackleton, Perry, don't worry, lads. We're going to lower a line down into the ice cave. And you'll be up here with us in no time sipping tea. I think he's like conflating historical expeditions because Shackleton was an explorer. It's actually Ernest Shackleton. Oh, interesting. Ernest Shackleton was an explorer, was in an ice cave. But then he also says Terry, which I think is a reference to a different, like he's, I think he's conflating. So there's a couple things. One is Ernest is obviously a lover of history. Yeah. And so all the things kind of run together. But two, it's like that thing again where Ernest is like, I'm in a situation where something went down a hole and there's kind of an echo. What do people in popular culture do when they're in that situation. They yell these sorts of things with these sorts of historical reference names. It's like, that's sort of like, oh, I don't this think, is what but I should I don't do right think now. He, you make it sound like he feels obligated to do it. I don't think he feels obligated at all. I don't think obligated. I, I think, think like compelled. Just, I suppose. He's like, oh, I'm on an adventure. I'll do the adventure yelling thing. These are the people in history who that went on adventures. That sounds more dutiful than I think it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's dutiful at all. I think it's just like, he's having fun. Well, that's what I think it is. But that to me sounds like an obligation, not fun. Oh, no, no, no. I think Ernest's head is just a jumble of history. Like, he has all these facts, like, swirling around, and they actually get, like, jumbled together. He gets his references, like, tangled in his head. So he actually falls into this hole. My note on this is, 
Ernest falls down a hole. And finds Goliath, the 314th Regimental Cannon. It's majestic. It is. It's a, it's a nice looking prop. It is. This is where um I'll bring up that they claim Goliath is the largest cannon ever built. And I decided to look up what actually is <laughs> the largest cannon ever built. Alisa, you're fact checking things here and I love it. So the actual largest cannon ever is from Russia. It is called the Tsar. <laughs> of course Amazing. it is. Amazing. And it was built in 1586. Wow. It's 19 and a half feet long. I was trying to decide if that was larger, smaller. I think a life was larger than that. Okay. But it's really chunky. You can look up picture. It does it does not look like it's that long because it is it is very wide uh, as well. So it's it's huge. It was never used in battle. It was only um, you know, threatening. It's a lap cannon. It's a lap cannon. <laughs> you can currently go visit it at the Kremlin. Huh. Nice. Road trip time. <laughs> Let's go visit the, the Tsar. <laughs> And so, Czar of Jars. They find this huge cannon. Dr. Mellon is, uh, you know, ec- ecstatic. I, we found it. We found it. My theory is true. You're welcome, Dr. Mellon. That was Ernest. Yeah. And Ernest keeps doing these different, like, adventure voices. Like, he does the, like, don't worry, Sahib. Uh, yeah, like, that one kind of bugged me a little bit. I had complete control of the situation at all times. Thanks for shopping with us. A little bit. Don't do that. He does a voice that's essentially either um, the one Nazi guy or Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, he does a Nazi guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I see you have found the Ark for us. (laughs) The cannon is stuck. And the fuse is still attached. How convenient and not not at all foreshadowing. (laughs) So at that point, Dr. Mellon says... All those regulars must have left in a hurry. And this is the complete journey of this joke that I love, where Ernest goes, I was a regular once. And that's the whole joke. Yep. Like, that's what's so great. It's like the rule of threes, and it's the diverted expectation where there's no second half to that. It's just, I was a regular once, because you can't be a regular once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's so many subtle throwaway jokes in this movie. Oh, yeah. I guess Abner wants to look into the barrel or something. So Ernest takes the thing that's stopping the cannon and like pushes it backwards. Yeah. And And the cannon starts moving again. So Ernest is like, oh, it's cool. I'll just stop it with my foot. He puts his foot there and then there's just a hard cut to the outside of the the piece of land that they're inside, you hear Ernest scream, and this huge cannon just crashes out. It's actually pretty. It's a pretty nice shot. This yeah. cannon just tearing through this land. It rolls down a hill and basically shatters Nan's, Nan's new car. car. Yeah, sorry, Nan. But Ernest is basically like, it's no sweat. When we find the crown jewels, we'll just like reach around and grab some diamonds and you can buy her a Humvee, his and her Humvees. Right. And Abner says something like, I always wanted a Humvee. Again, he wants to be masculine. It's like this reach at masculinity. Like it's a running theme. But so this is the part where Ernest uh, climbs into the cannon. You got it. He's looking for the crown jewels. I mean, and why wouldn't they be down the barrel of a large weapon? (laughs) So he gets a little like toe up from Dr. Mellon. He climbs in and then he actually knocks out Dr. Mellon by like flailing his legs yeah. frantically. And then the bad guys arrive. Dr. Glencliffe arrives with like two goons. One of the goons is in a turtleneck. I think I made a note that just says turtleneck toughs. Turtleneck toughs. It's hard to be tough in a turtleneck, but this guy manages it. Yeah. And Dr. Glencliffe actually is driving around in the stretch limo and his, his license plate says RT facts. Yeah. It took me saying it out loud. Yeah. I'll admit. RT facts. Yeah. Artifacts. Oh, God. (laughs) 
I, I thought you were saying artifacts. I'm like, it's facts it, it's, about it's art? art. Like the letter R, the letter T, F A X. That's that's the license plate. It's absurd. That's absurd. <laughs> yeah. That's his license plate on his limousine. He shows up with his goons. Ernest is stuck in this cannon. They wake up Dr. Mellon. And Dr. Mellon's like, hey, Dr. Glencliffe, as you can see, we found Goliath. Ernest is still stuck in there. He thinks that uh, Dr. Mellon is talking to no one. And he says, Dr. Mellon, <laughs> talking to yourself is not a sign of mental stability. Not exactly that's true, not true, but it's a good joke. It's pot kettle, and it's also Ernest that's inaccurate. And it's also self-aware. Ernest, don't worry, you're fine. <laughs> so Ernest is trying to have uh, Dr. Mellon instead help him get out of the cannon because there might be bugs or vampires or a dentist inside. Oh, And all so I could think sweet. of was, you know, with Ernest's luck, there would be a dentist in yeah, here. Because like, it it's be. the most impossible thing to ever happen. It's great because throughout this entire scene, Ernest's legs never stop like flailing. That's true. They're just going as they're having this whole conversation outside. Dr. Glencliffe, this is where he sh- reveals his evil nature. Right? And, and we're like, what? <laughs> He's a bad guy. They're like, oh, Ernest is stuck. So they say, okay, we'll take him back to the clinic and we'll cut him out. We'll cut him in half. And Abner's like, you can't cut Goliath. He's historical. And Dr. Glencliffe's like, who said anything about cutting Goliath? Dun, dun, dun. I actually like Dr. Ellen's reaction because he goes, ha, 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 that's a great joke. Humor's a little dark for my tastes. Even Dr. Mellon starts to get a little self-aware there. I think he knows as soon as Dr. Glencliffe said that that he's 100% serious. But oh, yeah. he immediately is like, let me just tr- pretend for yeah. just a second that everything is okay. You're not evil? Right? You're not evil. Uh, yes, you are evil. Okay, oh, no. I gotta go place. So they basically kidnap Dr. Mellon. They attach the cannon to a tow truck that one of the Tufts drives. So it's the tow truck dragging the cannon along. Ernest is still stuck inside. Dr. Mellon is riding front seat in the tow truck. And Dr. Glencliffe and his other Tuffer in the other following limo. following limo. And you know, for all the buddy movie posturing that this movie does, this is the part where it straight up becomes like an adventure film. Because it's like a long road drive with like various parts. It starts with Ernest still stuck in the cannon uh-huh. and then escalates from there. Meanwhile, Nan and the mighty workboy salesman find her wrecked car. She's on Abner's trail. She just right. wanted to find her car. Well, now she's like, okay, well, now I'm finding my husband. Yep. She's going to kill him. Oh, yeah. So they're driving Ernest and Dr. Mellon back to the university, I imagine. But they are going to chop Ernest into little bits. Sure. They're inside the limo and the thug is asking Dr. Glencliffe, like, what do we do with the leftovers? Like, it's yeah. disgusting. This guy just seems like really eager to have a man cut into bits. Yeah, he's he's, like, he's evil for... He's he, evil. Not only is he a history enthusiast, he's also an evil enthusiast. Yeah. <laughs> but Ernest actually wheels out of the cannon because there turns out to be a tarantula. Technically not a bug, so he was not correct. There's a tarantula in the cannon. Yeah. Tarantula native to Virginia. And I love that as soon as Ernest notices it, he goes, How cute. Oh, yes. Eight beautiful little hairy legs. The first thing he does is try to convince himself that it's cute so that he's not afraid of it. Well, I it mean, doesn't work, it made but me it's think, a really good try. It made me think of Chris's, one of Chris's statements on jail, which is just like, oh, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. How, how's everything? <laughs> the guy next to me, everything is also going normal I'm for? not frightened. Everything yeah. is fine. It's, he's trying to convince himself. He tries so hard. 200 cute little beady eyes and... He can't. He can't contain himself. He immediately wiggles backward out of the cannon, falls into the street. Dr. Glencliffe says, run him over. And they do. He's fine, ladies and gentlemen. Of course. Don't worry. 
Ernest is fine. Yeah. And he sits up and like Cliff is like, back up. You didn't finish the job. Like, yeah, do it it's, again. It's like, very, okay, uh, man, just let him go. No, they need him dead. Ernest, you've, you've seen my face. You cannot live anymore. So Ernest gets up and runs away. Dr. Mellon is screaming, run, Ernest. Yeah. One of the bad guys gets out of the limo and chases Ernest. Into, oh, this is great. They run into the back, someone's backyard. This is where Ernest disguises himself as a chair. This is amazing. This whole scene is great because it's just Ernest being chased and he's so cartoony. Like he's doing that tiptoe run that he yeah. does. He like daintily knocks over a little chair and the bad guy just falls all over it. Yeah. He finds a chair and like, yeah, he picks up like the seat part of the chair and like sits down and puts it on top of him. So he's disguised as a chair. And by the way, it works. It works. It works great. <laughs> he's a cartoon. This is the most Looney Tunes scene. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. So the bad guy runs in. He is like, where did he go? Because Ernest well is have, now like, a chair. Raymond Scott playing. Yeah. Underneath. And then Ernest gets up and runs away. The guy keeps chasing him. And then he finds a clothesline. Oh, yes. Clothes hanging yes. on. It's like a, fla- a floral yes. print. Yes. And a walker. Because, you know, you got to put your walker out to dry <laughs> and your pearls and your uh, neck brace. Maybe he had those on his person. <laughs> That's what's inside the vest. Yeah. Yes, I would imagine, actually. That's like, bizarre. He, he ducks behind this towel. And he comes out as Auntie Nelda. Auntie Nelda. I should say the the rare chase variant figure of Auntie Nelda where she's in like yeah, a Yeah, it's not a green dress. dress. It's like yeah. this, this colorful bit, floral well, I mean, print. Every wig is different, but well, that's neither here nor there. Get that that yeah. wig was on his person also. Auntie Nelda. God, it's it never fails. I have to say. It always works. My Auntie Nelda note on this part, uh, she earned four exclamation points after the name <laughs> Auntie Nelda. <laughs> we get a call back to Auntie Nelda's dead son, Jaime. Jaime. You're just like my second son, Jaime. I had to teach him manners. He's dead now. He basically, <laughs> he tried, you know, he's like, you have... Why is that so funny to me? She tells the guy, like, you have no man. Again, it's Ernest. Ernest, as Auntie Nelda, is like, oh, you have no manners. I remember when we were watching this, like, because then essentially what happens is Auntie Nelda punches the guy in the face and knocks him out. And I was like, yeah, go Auntie Nelda. And you were just like, that's Ernest. I know. Yeah, I did. It's like, David, that's. <laughs> I was like, nope, my love for Auntie Nelda will person. never diminish. <laughs> it, yes, it is. Because Ernest becomes a different person. Auntie Nelda is great. <laughs> yes. I, I gotta say, Auntie Nelda never fails. Even when it failed, it wasn't Auntie Nelda's fault. Like, it sure. was It did work. Ernest like, just couldn't support the weight of those uh, right. shackle Too, ball yeah. breasts. Fair enough. Yeah. It's great how it's just infallible. It, that is not, exactly the word for it, without fail. It's something that Ernest can just pull out and yep. just be like, this will work. This always works. You know, actually, that in that last extra, we read an article that said that Ernest was not adept at subterfuge. Yes. He completely is. Oh, yeah. He's really great at it. Yeah, and I guarantee you he knows what that word means. I guarantee you. So then Ernest, as Auntie Nelda, decks this guy. Yeah. We see him kind of start to remove the neck brace and start to morph back into Ernest. And still in the Auntie Nelda persona says something else about Jaime. The guy's unconscious and he's like, he looks just like Jaime or something like that. <laughs> An emaciated spider. So, um, Ernest? Starts chasing the tow truck. God bless him. So at this point, Dr. Mellon is still riding shotgun with a guy who's driving the tow truck that is pulling along the giant cannon. Yep. Ernest runs over to where the tow truck is, and he actually, like, like he narrates He's his narrating running. He's narrating his run, yeah. <laughs> Using his Olympic trained legs, Indy rockets to the professor's rescue. 
And he jumps in front of the tow truck and he yells, stop in the name of the Sheriff of Nottingham. I don't know what which he's I don't know about. why. Yeah, it's like a vaguely <laughs> British historical I think he's illusion. just pulling, yeah, a name. Because it's an English canon, so. Yeah. Uh, oh, what's like, what's like a British thing, yeah. So the guy driving the tow truck actually doesn't stop. And Ernest makes like, in rapid succession, makes about four different reaction faces to he the does. fact that there's a tow truck bearing down on him. He's hit by the tow truck. Don't worry, kids. He's fine. And I said this to you while we were watching it. Dr. Mellon is not like, oh my God, you hit Ernest. He's like, hey, no fair. You hit Ernest. And it's like, your friend just got run over for the second time. It's like a very like kids movie reaction where we don't want a horrified reaction here because that would be frightening. I guess. I don't know how aware Abner is of Ernest's indestructiveness. But like, I I wanted him to have a little bit more, like even just be like. He's definitely upset. He's more upset in the (laughs) sense that like this guy driving the truck like broke the rules of like whatever this. It's a weird. Weird line. I think the key point is you hit Ernest. Oh, sure. I love that Dr. Mellon, he keeps talking to this guy driving the tow trucks. It's like, you know, young man, if you you might fare better if you had like a secondary education. And, and, the, and the guy driving the tow truck just keeps knocking him out. Yeah. And then he wakes up and then the guy hits Ernest and he tries to like judo chop the guy. He's yeah, like, yeah. you hit Ernest. And he tries to like hit him and he just immediately gets knocked, knocked out, out again. again. It's very sad. It really, yeah. This is the Nebishi guy trying to do the manly thing, and it's not quite working yet. No, but Ernest is fine. He's actually basically still on the front of the tow truck. He pulls himself up. Well, so this is essentially, again, an Indiana Jones. Yeah, this is very Raiders of the Lost Ark. Absolutely. He's on top of a moving vehicle trying to get the driver out. Like, I feel like I want to take this scene and just cut, like, bum, 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 bum. I'm pretty sure there's just, like, shot for shot in some parts. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. Although I at no point does Indiana Jones on the hood of a car say, I'm one of the new boys on the hood. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you said you weren't too familiar <laughs> yeah. with the Indiana Jones. I don't know if you've seen the George Lucas director's cuts of those movies, but there's some new additions, no, some new happen. lines. I was like, oh, there's Ernest. Anyway. Ernest is just like knocking on the windshield trying to wake up Dr. Mellon. Yeah. And the guy driving the tow truck starts just like swerving back and forth. Yeah. At which point Dr. Glencliffe behind him in the limo was like, what the hell is he doing? Like, he's going to throw the cannon. Like, it's just this chaos. So the guy is swerving all over the road. Ernest is trying to get to the driver's side. Very Indiana Jones. It's great. This is probably, I will say, the most confident Ernest, the most self-aware Ernest, and the most tenacious Ernest. Mm. Like, as much as Ernest doesn't stop, in this movie, he really doesn't stop. He's powered by adventure. He, like, climbs over to the driver's side and is trying to pull open the door. And the guy driving the tow truck actually says, doesn't this guy ever give up? Yeah. He does not. No, he doesn't. Nope. He tries everything to knock Ernest off. He like drives past some like pylons that Ernest just like dodges he says, them. How would you like a public works yeah. enema? Yeah. Yikes. I was really confused by that line. They must have chose that word because it's not the most appropriate word, but it's the only one that's appropriate. With friends like that who needs enemas. <laughs> Gosh. So Ernest just dodges them. And then he like, he tries to like, he like grabs this like. Well, let's just say he dodges cones. That's what the enemas are. Yeah. So that the, the people at home are not picturing. Yeah, Ernest is just dodging these pylons. He's just like lifting his yeah, butt up so that he doesn't cones, yeah. get get a pile yeah. in the butt. Then the guy like grabs this wrench or something that he has on his dashboard and starts like trying to knock Ernest's hands, hands off. Yeah. And he's just like, ow, ow, ow. And just like switching hands. And at this point, by the way, the guy driving the tow truck calls him a stupid redneck. Which he's a you stupid did, redneck. You did not like this. No, not at all. It was the way he said it. Like, I don't mind if Ernest wants to call himself a redneck. Yeah, no, it, was, it was like the nasty it was derogatory very, it was way he said it. It was very pejorative, yep. It was, it, yes, it sounded very bad. It was dripping bad. with like venom. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I did not like that. How is he stupid? He's winning. Okay. 
okay? Just by the way, Tow Truck Man, he's winning. He I, actually like manages to open the car door. I was just going to say, never is he more winning than when he pulls <laughs> yep. the driver out of the truck and throws him onto the road. Take that. Yeah, so Ernest jumps in the truck. Abner actually has run to the back of the truck. Oh, okay, and then yes. Ernest also runs to the back of the truck. Right. And jumps over to the cannon. And he pulls like the thing that's attaching the cannon to the tow truck. Mm-hmm. So now they're separated. He tells Dr. Abner to jump. And Dr. Abner like <laughs> I, jumps I, in place. I like this part. He's like, come on, Dr. Dr. Uh, what the hell was the last Mellon. Name? Come on, Dr. Mellon, jump. And Dr. Mellon just does like the most like tiny, like, eh. <laughs> like, like he hop. just jumps in like one place. And I'm like, uh, womp, womp. This is one of my favorite jokes is that Dr. Mellon says that must be like 13 feet. And Ernest says this is no time, time to be, be superstitious. superstitious. Yep. <laughs> this is so many great little throwaways. So Dr. Mellon, this is again another running thing. This is like a symbol of like Dr. Mellon not wanting to take the risk and be a man because he won't jump onto things. And isn't this where Dr. Glencliff is actually his driver of the limo is basically like, all right, I'm going to take out a gun and start shooting at you. Yeah, yeah. And then Dr. Mellon is like, ah, bullets, actual bullets, real <laughs> yeah. bullets. yeah. Ernest is like, be a moving target and like hopping around. Yeah. And then Dr. Mellon is like, let's be sensible. And then Ernest is like, no, let's stay alive. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like he's, yeah. he's the one leading the adventure and he is, he's like strangely pragmatic about the wacky situations in this movie. Yeah. Well, he's been imagining them his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. It's no different. There's also a common sense element to the way oh, Ernest sure. is saying all these things. I mean, in this case, being sensible is staying alive. Like yeah. what makes more sense than is. that? But Dr. Mellon refuses to jump to the cannon. So the tow truck actually drives off, like off, it careens off into the woods. And Dr. Mellon like jumps off as it's like settling. But Ernest is still on the cannon. So he climbs on top of the cannon. Ah, and now the title of the movie, (laughs) Haft, comes into play. This starts the, I don't know what it is, four hours of the movie on which Ernest is (laughs) riding a cannon through the hills of Virginia. And by hills, I mean suburbia. Yeah, I just wrote, this starts an extremely long ride to the movie where he rides this cannon for about 40 minutes while everyone chases him. Yep. (laughs) It's crazy. There's so much riding of that cannon. It's so great because it actually starts to come to a stop. And Ernest is like, phew, I'm off of this thing. And he starts to climb off. And then it just starts moving in the other direction. And yeah. he's like, oh, no, I knew it was too good to be true. So Ernest is now just like riding a gigantic cannon on this countryside road. And, and a bunch of insanity happens. Yeah, he rides through like somebody's like backyard party where there's like a weird Yeah, mime. it's like this community picnic or something. something there's like a that. lot of yeah. people there, including like a bad mime that nobody likes. Yeah. Oh my God. You just see the mime like trying to do things and people are just ignoring him or I don't, pushing the, through him. The way him. that mime is like up in the camera's face is really uncomfortable. <laughs> this is an Ernest movie. There's no place for characters up in the camera's face. No, no. Maybe I'm used to Ernest. So seeing this mime, I don't like him. The pre- pretend. Yeah. Yeah, to the throne. Yeah. yeah, get out of here. <laughs> but Ernest comes crashing through. Get out of the way! I don't want to kill anybody. Not even that bad boy. Watch out! Get out of the way! Well, at first, I was like, Ernest. That's a weird thing for Ernest to say. But then I was like, No, oh, that's kind of funny. No, that's though. funny. Yeah, yeah. He, he yells at another woman like, "Badly dressed woman, get out of the way, move!" <laughs> yeah, he always yeah. has time to I didn't make catch that. observations. That's really funny. He demolishes this picnic. Yeah, goes right through. Abner runs through after him. 
And meanwhile, back at the home of Dr. Abner Mellon, the English, what is it? they're like the secret service for the crown. Yeah, there's like a there's like a main dude who has like this, what you think is a- MI6. Yeah, they're <laughs> MI6. And like the main Englishman who's leading them has like this lollipop that he's always sucking You keep on. thinking it's a toothpick, but then he takes it out and it's, it's just a lollipop. lollipop. Yeah. I really like the lollipop. Yeah, I like it too. I, I really like it. And I, I like the lollipop gag specifically. Very intimidating. They're wearing like long, like raincoat, like long, dark coats. It's the British uniform. And they go into Nan's house. She's got the salesman. Like, she still got them driving her around. And, like, she yeah. forces them into the house. She's like, you're going to drive me around. Well, th- and they still think, you know, for all of her bulldozing, they still think they have the upper hand in some yeah, ways. Yeah, they're... Whereas, like, they think, oh, we're going to make that sale. We're going to make that sale, yeah. You guys, you're really not. Well, at this point, they're like, maybe we won't make the sale. Like, they're starting to... It's, it's starting it's to get to them. them. Yeah. But she, now she's got them hostage. Like, they can't say no to her. Yeah. Customer's and, always right, man. And the Englishmen show up, and the main MI6 guy says something like, ma'am, the situation is beyond your imagination. And she's like, okay, well, you have an English accent, so you're from England, so then Abner's theory was correct, and you're looking for the crown jewels. Like, so some of that doctorate like, and exposition <laughs> rubbed off on her. Well, and they're like, okay, well, I guess, yes, that is essentially what's happening. And at this point, Ernest rides by on a giant cannon. He rides again. With Abner chasing after him. And they're all like, oh, there it is. Let's go. MI6 take off after Ernest. Nan and the Matty Workboy salesman basically make a deal. Like, okay, we'll drive you around for like 12%. They want a cut of the... Yeah. yeah, exactly. She says like, gentlemen, that's blackmail. It's not. It's that's like That's not what exchange. blackmail is, guys. Yeah, that's payment for services <laughs> yeah. rendered. Now, everyone in the movie is chasing after Ernest on the cannon. We are full into the chase scene. Everyone. And Ernest has no control over this thing. It's just going. He's like trying to steer it. He can't. He sees Abner and he's like, Abner, jump over here. Again, Abner's like, I don't jump. I'll try to find a crossroad. He actually finds a go-kart. Thank God somebody left that there with the keys in it and all gassed up. It's weird because they put like a Rick Moranis-y looking guy in a go-kart around the same time Rick Moranis was in a go-kart in Little Giants. I was just like, oh... Did that must be a, that same, must be a, a coincidence. coincidence. But it was it struck me. The image of the of little guy in the go-kart struck me. So he speeds after Ernest on this go-kart. Ernest, poor Ernest. He happens upon this couple, this weird couple that's driving a motorhome. Oh, this is so bizarre. They're talking about how great it is to travel with like no tethers. They're like life on the open road. Amen. And then they see Ernest. They're really just like, again, the calm before serene, the storm, yeah. like set up to like. Good timing. They see Ernest. Speeding towards them on a giant cannon. You knew this was coming. And poor Ernest. I don't know why they don't just drive around him. Yeah, that I don't know sense. why, but they don't. And, and er- Ernest is trying to go around them. He can't steer it. He yeah. actually says, like, this must be what it was like before power steering. But, like, <laughs> or any steering. He tries so hard to turn the thing. They try not at all. Yeah. So the cannon crashes into their windshield, and they think they're being, they say this is one of those carjackings. Because they think it's a carjacking because it's basically a gun. Because the cannon pointed right at them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It's a giant cannon. That's oh, like, God. It's so it's stupid. road pirates. Oh, yeah. God. They say it's an alien spaceship. They say a lot of things. These people are nuts. That they don't say pirate? No, they don't. If anyone was going to have a cannon. It's definitely not an alien. It's clearly a man on a are cannon. Are there any pirate jokes in this whole thing? I can't recall I any. I don't think so. Maybe they were what like. What a waste. If anyone would make one, it would be Ernest. You know, they probably were, were holding on to them for an actual pirate, pirate movie. Pirate movie. <laughs> The pirates of what was it? 
uh, Pirates of the Plane, the movie that Jim Varney was supposed to be a pirate in. Right. So I, I should also say, in the cab of this RV where this couple is driving, uh-huh. are some Tulip Brothers products. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't even notice them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. They exist in this universe. Oh, yeah. But poor Ernest. They decide that what they should do is hook Ernest with a fishing line. It's like why the does, second. Why? The second. Why does Ernest always get hooked with a fishing line? I don't know that he always does, but this is definitely the second time in his life because we know that this has happened to pretty much every Ernest as a child. No, because it, ha- it happens once with Pop. In, in Is that in Family Album? It's in Family Album and the Disney thing. So isn't that like two times? I assume they are different Ernests in different oh, universes. Lord, here Sorry, we go. I don't think of them. <laughs> I don't think of any two Ernests as the same person. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> I don't. But I assume sure. every Ernest has had this happen to them as a child. Sure. Okay, so definitely. What what I'm trying to say is this has happened to an Ernest before. This has in happened one of, to this Ernest in one of the splinter before. cells. Yeah, yeah. So he gets hooked to this fishing line, but it gets hooks him in the mouth. It's like his cheek. It's yeah. awful. And the the lady the lady is screeching like, "Get him, Frank!" She sprays him with like bug spray. Oh, that might actually be the Tulip Brothers product. Oh, I can't remember. Poor Ernest. Yeah. Time to bring him off now, Frank. I'm swinging. I'm swinging. Come back, no. He's being tortured up there and like Nan and the mighty work boys drive up and they see Ernest and she's like, ram him. Like everyone is after poor Ernest. This is a chaotic scene because also the MI6 English people decide that they're going to make a roadblock that the cannon's going to go through. This is a terrible idea. As if he has any control over the cannon whatsoever. He doesn't. It's actually pushing the motorhome backwards now that it's crashed into it. And it's chaos. Let me clarify. A roadblock is not a bad idea. A roadblock made almost entirely of human beings (laughs) is a bad idea and will almost unequivocally not work for what you're trying to do. It's like the biggest cannon that's ever existed apart from the czar. The main Englishman, he goes, don't shoot unless they don't stop, right? (laughs) They don't stop. (laughs) Okay. The motorhome at Ernest, which is now attached to it, goes through like this and we is, should we should also say you're calling them the English and it sounds like you're being like all re- the English reductive. people no no it's no the, it's none of the these English. none of these people have names no it's just I don't know the English they, people what, are they MI six on, they, her, on actually, her Majesty's secret service that's what they say <laughs> I have no idea and then later they're like Ernest your father he was a secret agent with us oh Come God with us. stop <laughs> so. <laughs> They're just standing there waiting for the cannon to stop. It doesn't. Why? They all jump out of the way. They're like, whoa, and they jump out of the way. And my favorite part is that the main guy spits out his lollipop as he yeah. yells. It's the best. So it, it's it's one of my favorite shots. Because they're they're British. It's, it's just a lolly. He spits it out. He's all, run. And they jump out of the way. The cannon goes crashing through. Ernest and the cannon actually somehow get pulled out of the motorhome. They detach. And they just go right past the motorhome. Yeah, there's some weird cartoon physics happening there that I don't I don't even know what happens but like the fishing line gets like painfully like ripped out of his mouth if it was reality his cheek would just be in shreds but that doesn't happen he's fine so at least we've gotten rid of the trailer couple yes thank goodness and Abner is driving around on a go-kart and he catches up to Ernest and Ernest keeps he really wants him to jump on the cannon with him he really would like some company on this adventure and he's like I can't and then Ernest like sees a drain pipe ahead he's like okay you see that drain pipe ahead crawl out on that drain pipe and I'll Snatch you off like a mailbag <laughs> on the Pony Express. I like how quick-witted he is. And he knows his history. Yeah. Okay, more history. Yep. He makes a history reference, and he has a, a decent idea about what to do next. And you know, Ernest is often the first one to use obscure historical references. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with Dr. Mellon, it's probably a good idea. He's a professor of history. Yeah. So Not a bad team. Apt. I think they complement each other. They're... 
an odd couple, to be sure. <laughs> and so Abner sees that he's being chased in a limousine by men with guns. So he drives over to the drain pipe. Nan and the Mighty Work Boys are in the car behind them. She sees him doing it. She's like, Abner, that's very dangerous. Yeah. She says, like, Abner, honey. It's just the way she talks to him. She talks to him like a, in a with a baby voice. It's very, yeah. But it's interesting that Nan is very maternal to Abner Mm -hmm. when often the person that people are maternal to is Ernest. Yeah. So I wonder if they sort of, there's kind of kindred spirits a little bit that way. I don't know that it's that because Abner isn't childlike. That's true. It's more a part of his emasculation. It's Mm. like a negative, like it's it's his conflict in the movie, being a man and being constantly emasculated and standing up for himself. That's true. And Ernest, that doesn't actually happen to in this movie because no one, he doesn't have a relationship with anyone it other than. in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he doesn't have a relationship with anyone other than Abner. And right. Abner's not going to baby him. Right. Because Ernest has a leg up on Dr. Abner in, in terms of confidence and self-assurance. Sure. He's sure. more assertive than Abner. For and some reason. He's more manly than Abner. Yeah. This is actually where Ernest basically like gets Abner to be like, this is just a symbolic. Dr. Mellon like embraces like his self-confidence and his sense of adventure, he actually like jumps off the drain pipe and lands on the cannon. Takes the leap. He takes that leap of faith yep. because Ernest believes in him. He lands on it. Ernest has like a cartoon scoreboard sign. It gives him a 9.3. I loved, I loved that. I was like, <laughs> all right, this is a good gag from Ernest. Abner actually screams like, what a rush. Yeah. I did it. Like he, and it's nice. It's a nice moment for uh, Dr. Mellon. He needs a win. You know, Dr. Mellon needs to to stop using his melon and just uh, embrace <laughs> the spirit of uh, adventure. And I think the bad guys like run out of bullets because like they're, Dr. Glencliffe <laughs> calls them trigger happy idiots. They just stop shooting like, oh, I guess they're gone. So now Abner and Ernest are on the cannon and they basically lose everyone for a while. It's like the mighty work boys get two flat tires. They get their tires shot oh, out yeah. by the goons. So Nan like leaves them. He's like, you're not useful to me anymore. She just like hitchhikes and this giant truck picks her up and she gets in. And I, I like Nan because she's like, Aren't you sweet? You hear her say, like, isn't this sweet of you as she gets in the car? And you just know that that guy is in for it. I know. And then Abner and Ernest, the cannon, like, starts teetering on the edge of a cliff. Like, it gets to the edge of a cliff and it teeters precariously. And, like, they start bickering about whether they should scooch this way or that way. Like, Ernest is telling him, scooch. And and then saying that Abner hopped. It's just, like, this weird bickering scene. Well, it's almost like Abner's, like, this is another fine mess that you've gotten me into moment. For a minute, he was happy to be, like, you know. He got the thrill. He got the thrill of it. But then immediately he was like, oh, no, this is too much. I don't like it. But then Ernest ends up getting scared because that darned tarantula is on the cannon again. Yeah, that's uh, bad luck, Ernest. Which sends the cannon, like, hurtling down the cliff. It actually doesn't kill them. It just, like, crashes into this barn. Right. At some point, Ernest keeps saying, like, hey, stick your legs in the spokes or, like, rub your hands together and then use them as, like... brake pads. Yikes. No. Ernest, not everyone else in the world is a cartoon. I wonder if he understands that. I feel like he does understand that not everyone else in the world is a cartoon, but like his brain is going, he's just like, okay, well, what would, I, what would I, what would I do? Uh, let's try this. Yeah, when he says that, Abner says, "You need a CAT scan, Ernest." That actually that. wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, just to make sure that he's okay. Yes, from the something that happened. Yeah. So they end up crashing into this barn, which stops the cannon, which is great. (laughs) Yay. Ernest falls off comically. And then this is kind of a sweet scene. Yeah, I like this scene a lot. Yeah, like Ernest manages to get some corn on the cob going in this little can. This is like a can of butter or something. This is the scene of the movie. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think we've made this illusion before. You know, I often describe Ernest as like 
the weird guy in town that no one really knows what his deal is. He's just sort of like an outsider. But I feel like Ernest also has like the affectations of like a weird drifter hobo, especially in the uh, ways, yes, especially in the ways he that does. he's like each movie he's in a different place. He's like, well, I never forget the day that Ernest rolled into this town. Yeah, you know? it does feel like, like that. I mean, with like, the exception of Scared Stupid, where we say that he's been there his sure, whole life. Absolutely. But yeah, you do get the sense of him being like a drifter going from Moving town from to Moving from place town. to place, having different adventures. Yeah. Like, he rolls into XYZ City and, like, affects the people there. And then he's like, well, my work here is done. Next it movie. It feels like that, especially if you're thinking that Ernest is the same person in every movie, which, like... Sure, that does help the theory. I've stopped thinking that way. Um, I have for the most but part. But I feel like anybody who hasn't thought about Ernest to the degree that we have would make the AKA assumption the, 99% the whole, the whole of the world, world. Yeah. Would, would. That's that's really, that's very kind, 99%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they would assume that like, this is the same Ernest going from place to place. But he does say the way that he made the corn is like it's just the knowledge of the open road, he says. Well, yeah. so like Maybe the, he's a trucker? I, no, but he doesn't have a truck. I don't know. He's a drifting construction worker. <laughs> I think what I like in this scene is this the moment when he pulls the corn out for himself and it's hot and he puts his hand in the boiling yeah. water there's something very sweet like <laughs> he's experiencing discomfort with that hot water but yeah. he's having this sweet moment at the same time it's like he's not letting that interfere with the sweet moment it's a nice acting choice it's very touching Absolutely. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Abner is actually kind of opening up to Ernest. He's saying, like, you know, it's sad that, like, Nan never believed me about the canon. My work, yeah. It's hard when your life's mate doesn't support your life's work. Yeah. You know, and, and Ernest is, like, listening to him, but the corn is too hot. And he's, he's like, throwing it from hand to hand and trying to eat it. But putting it, it in his putting, pocket. He eventually puts it in his pocket. But he is, like, nodding along and listening the whole time. There's a nice recurring bit that I always appreciate in the Ernest films where it's, like, a, a opposites of the visual story storytelling and the dialogue storytelling. I feel like that kind of thing comes up a lot where there's like two layers to a scene where it's like the dialogue doesn't match what's happening in the scene. It's interesting. And then Dr. Mellon actually says like, life is good and all because of you, Ernest. He also compliments the corn. Yeah. He's like, he's surprised the corn is good. I think that says a lot about their relationship. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the corn is good because he has a newfound view of Ernest and what Ernest's place in his life is. The corn is a symbol. Yeah, he has a newfound respect for Ernest. Life is good and all because of you, Ernest. <laughs> well, thanks, Dr. Miller. The look on his face is like someone's appreciating me. Again, you get the sense yep. that this is the first time. Yep, because this is the day that breaks them out of the routine. Dr. Mellon's actually like, you can call me Abner. At which, is, at which point, Ernest is like, so we're like real buddies. Well, he acts surprised. He's thrilled. <laughs> Ernest has finally convinced someone to be his friend. Like, this is an extremely lonely Ernest. He doesn't have any other friends. Because he's a drifter. He's looking for this one guy to be his friend. Specifically this one person. He's the Vern. That's what I'm saying. He's specifically chasing one person's approval. Yeah. I guess because he feels like, oh, we're buddies now. We're friends. I'm going to do the friend thing where I like point at your shirt and then like put my finger up to your nose and it pisses off Abner and they start like basically roughhousing. Yeah, it's a little weird. And then they hear a noise and Ernest says, did you hear that? Boy, Boy, I I sure sure did. did. I was like, so many things I've missed. (laughs) So many things. Oh, gosh. So they're like, we need to get out of here. So Ernest actually somehow rigs the cannon to a tractor that they find in the barn. Oh, yeah. They steal like like a farmer's tractor or something, right? Yeah. He hooks it onto the cannon. And Abner actually says, Ernest, you are American ingenuity at its its finest. finest. Yeah, I like that line a lot. 
hell yeah, somebody finally acknowledged that. Yep. Yes, he is. He's very quick. You know, it's interesting, like very specifically American ingenuity. Yeah. Not only because he's like, he's like a very like blue collar working man, like American character, but also in this movie, like it contrasts with like the British aspect of (laughs) things too. It definitely is. Country pride. American ingenuity. Yeah. Ernest's optimism feels distinctly American. He's a very American character. Yes, he is. Yes. He would say he's a beloved American icon. I mean, I you could you'd probably say that more <laughs> than I would. I don't that doesn't sound like something I would say, but sure. I'd agree with it, I guess. So they drive out, they're pulling the cannon along with the tractor. It is working. Mm. But then they come to this roadblock where it just says you can't go past this point because of apple, apple maggot maggots contamination. Yeah. Oh no. Stopped by apple maggots again. And then Dr. Glencliffe and his thugs arrive in the limo artifacts. Dr. Glencliffe spends like 90% of this movie sitting down in a moving vehicle. Yeah, looking evil. <laughs> and then like they see them driving up in the limo and they're like, oh God. And so Ernest, Ernest and Abner start arguing about how best to handle the situation. Ernest is like, oh, this is just like Butch Cassidy. He starts making all these references. Yeah, see, you're Butch because you do all the thinking. And I'm Sundance because, well, I'm slightly better looking. Anyway. They're surrounded by the Mexican army in Bulgaria. Bolivia. They were in Bolivia. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Bolivia. They were killed in Bolivia. Well, maybe they should have stayed in Bulgaria. Ernest comes back to Bulgaria with Ernest. It's the home of Miak. Ernest says, anyway, Butch and the kid didn't have Goliath, and we, we do. do. And he immediately, like, runs and jumps on the cannon. And he, he really wants to shoot this thing. Oh, yeah. Ernest is like, let's just shoot the cannon at these people in the limousine. Yes. <laughs> Good Ab- plan. But Abner's like, no, you'll destroy the jewels. Ernest is like, it's us or the jewels. Yeah. He- he's all about staying alive. Whether you're a mother or whether you're a brother. Like, one of my favorite lines is Abner says, consider the, the ramifications. ramifications. We don't have any ramifications. All we have is this cannon. Abner's just like, Ernest, please no. And Ernest just goes, Goliath must, must speak. <laughs> He just really wants to blow something he up. He really does. Yeah. He really wants to shoot this thing. By the way, he's sitting on top of it. It's so the impotence of being Ernest. From a seated position, on, it's about to be. Yeah. And he's lighting the fuse. He First, he tries like an actual torch that he had for some reason. And then he suddenly has a blowtorch. He has like an acetylene torch, yeah. <laughs> it's just a cartoon. He's pulling these things out of his vest, He might as I well guess. have like Felix the Cat's like <laughs> yeah. bag of tricks. Construction worker. I, a traveling, unemployed construction worker. I don't worker. know about that. I yeah. think he finds things Handyman. in the ground and sells them. Finds He's the a picker. Yeah. I think he makes weird contraptions out of the things he finds and sells them, maybe. There's a precedent for that. You know... I still do believe that all the Ernests are connected, even if they're not all the same Ernest. I believe that things that have happened to one Ernest, probably similar circumstances have happened to another Ernest. They're clones. Um, I think there's overlap, but they definitely don't all have the same experiences, but there is some overlap. That's kind of what I'm saying. Sure, but there's, there's, shared... there's definitely no continuity. Oh, certainly not. <laughs> yeah, no. No, so no that's... that's not what I'm saying. By different universes, I mean there's no continuity. I'm saying different universes to make it make sense to my brain. Sure. No, <laughs> what I'm saying is that I think all of the Ernests have some semblance of a shared history, even if it's not all of the things happening to the exact same individual. Sure, that's a fair assumption. But Ernest manages to light this fuse. Yep. There's like a second of delay. And then with Ernest on top of it, it shoots a 500 pound cannonball at this limousine. And the shot of it like crashing into the limo and then like pushing it backwards made me laugh. <laughs> like it's hilarious. It embeds itself in the grill of the limo. Yeah. And Ernest, I think, gets thrown because he's right. sitting on top of it. Probably not the best place to sit. No. 
Yeah. Ernest is lying in the wreckage of the apple maggot roadblock, <laughs> right? He actually shakes it off like a cartoon. He does like, uh, like the, yeah. the cartoon like face shake. Just like, uh, okay, I'm fine. Meanwhile, Abner is upset because if there's a cannon ball in the cannon. That means there aren't any jewels. It means there aren't any jewels yeah. inside. He totally flips out. Yes. There's no other way to hide jewels. No. And so the movie's over. They don't find the crown jewels no. and uh, that's, that's it for it. Poor Ernest. Like, yeah, he yells at Ernest like, this is all your fault. How is it his fault? I feel like Dr. It's Mellon. Like it's a very Geraldo Rivera moment. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? please elaborate on that. He opened Al Capone's vault and it was empty. That's true. So it's like he found the cannon, he opened it, and it was empty. Finding the cannon and proving that the regiment was real and being chased by British people who are trying to find the jewels isn't good enough. He really only wants the jewels, that selfish, cold-hearted I man. mean, they did find the cannon no. and prove like, that the regiment existed, real, yeah. but that's not enough. He wants a shiny diamond. Oh, good grief. He's like, so I'm going back to my job. You go back to yours. What is Ernest's job? I feel like Abner is constantly looking for a reason to duck out of things. Yeah, like, I feel at the like first he's, sign of he's conflict, like, he's like, ah. oh, it didn't work. Gotta yeah. go. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. His career at the university, that stake doesn't matter anymore. He loses anymore. his nerve really easily. Yeah. yeah. But now he's like, I threw everything away for nothing. I mean, I get it, but he really tears into Ernest. Yeah. Like, poor Ernest just wanted an adventure and thought they were really onto something. No, and didn't, he, also, he didn't think they were onto something. Thing. They were onto they something. They were onto something. And also, Ernest had finally gotten this guy's friendship, which was like basically the main thing he wanted. Right. And the guy's just like, we're not friends. And none of it would have happened if I hadn't have joined you in this, this idiot's adventure. But I believed in you, Oh, Abner. get out of my sight. Never talk to me again. It's a bit much. Dr. Mellon. It's, this is very much the Frodo and Sam moment. Yeah. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? That That's not in the book. The yeah. really forced <laughs> breakup of the friendship. Right. Anyway. He's got some like manic depressive things happening. I feel like all of his emotions, he's, he's like all or nothing. Like he's either like super gung-ho all the way into it or uh, I can't do anything ever. Yeah. He's a very anxious character. Kind of like a, a walking raw nerve in some ways. So Abner just storms off. He's just like, never talk to me again. We're not friends anymore. You're the worst. Poor Ernest is just like, my only friendship is gone. And like, and he actually starts saying like, I guess I'm just supposed to be alone. I guess I'm just a drifter. He's lost his only friend. He just needs a win. And then he gets one. He finds the crown jewels of England inside a cannon. Well, inside (laughs) inside the barrel that's below the cannon. Like, I guess it's a gunpowder barrel. That's what I assumed. Yeah. He hits his head on the cannon. He's like, and then he kicks the barrel in frustration and then like a little like a golden like ornamental ball rolls out of it Uh, it looks like the holy hand grenade of antioch (laughs) and i really appreciate this moment so much this amazing scene of Ernest reverentially finding the crown of england as he unearths his treasure the entire focus of the civilized world is trained on this moment we should say that Erin has her like hands on her face right now as if she's like doing some sort of home alone scream. Well, it's this a great sh- it's a great shot. Destiny. It's a great shot because you see Ernest like remove his hat. Again, this is the second time it happens. I think they were preparing us for this moment because he removes his hat. You just see like his lower half and you just see his hands like come into frame with the baseball cap, which means right. he's taking it off. And you're like, oh, he took off that. <laughs> and he like he like reverentially picks up the crown and he and he he, say, he makes a speech about it. And he, he makes this regal face and he puts the crown on his head and it just starts going. 
<laughs> like making his own music he starts making like he's a king and it's like stand back you groveling minions and prepare to like to bow to your sovereignty I mean, he goes right back into play acting well he, he's earned it he found the crown of england he's gonna play king oh yeah and he starts screaming like dr melon i found the jewels they weren't in the barrel they were in the barrel and of course dr melon doesn't hear him no the bad guys but conveniently <laughs> Dr. McEvil and his uh, turtlenecked yeah. henchmen hear him. They're, I mean, they're looking at the cannibal in the car. They're like, holy crap, there's a cannibal in our car. And then like, <laughs> they hear Ernest shouting that he has the crown jewels. They rush over there, and Ernest turns around and sees them. He's like, oh. Um, so he's like, I'll just take it off. It, of course, doesn't come off his of head because Ernest, of his impossible luck. Yep, yep. It's fused to Ernest's skull. Then it begins a great yeah, montage. It has been chosen. Ah. It's like the sword and the stone in reverse. It is. The crown <laughs> and instead of a sword, Ernest. it's a crown. And you cannot remove it from yourself. There is a great brief montage of them trying to get the crown off of Ernest's head. It's great because they're hitting him with a wrench and then they... They try to pry it off. One guy is holding Ernest. In a, in a headlock. Do you and think this is because he's magnetic? Oh. oh he's, he he did interact with electricity. You I don't know, know because then he would have found the crown easier. It would have gone right to him. Well, you know, there is a large part of this movie where he is very much attached to a giant metal cannon. And I guess the, he finds he got the re-magnetized. Yeah. Maybe at some point. You know what? I buy it. It could be. I buy it. But yeah, my favorite attempt to remove the crown from his head is when one guy is holding him by the legs. The other guy has him in a headlock and it's just like trying to twist him out. Yeah. And it looks like it's such an upsetting shot because they're like twisting Jim Barney and he's, he's making this face like my head is being twisted. It, it would work if this was a legit cartoon. I love that shot. But it's just like, guys, that's not gonna take the crown off that's just gonna take her in his head off please don't it looks a little bit dangerous which is why yeah. i love it yeah i love things that look dangerous to jim barney <laughs> except for chewing on steel wool Noted. so so the glencliff's like okay never mind that's not working let's take him to the clinic because he really wants to chop Ernest up this guy is like really dead set on cutting Ernest into bits and because of course as a business tycoon slash historical enthusiast you have your own clinic with medical supplies for just such an occasion well he's a doctor well he's a that kind of doctor i think so oh wait then why is he on the board at the the board of regents at a college he's got three phds (laughs) (laughs) one of them is in medicine so he collects phds the same way that he collects like historical artifacts i don't know because they do show him at a hospital with like a doctor in scrubs oh you're totally he's a mummy doctor i forgot about that he is like a medical doctor he's like buckaroo bonsai maybe he works on like cadavers i don't i have no idea that wouldn't surprise me but anyway they take Ernest off to the clinic which sounds horrible and the next scene is the scene in which Abner finally becomes a man. Mm. His ascension to manhood is complete. He's walking along the road. Nan drives up in this truck that he that she has stolen from the guy who so generously gave her a ride. Because, of course. She, at some point, like, she just kicks this guy out of the truck. She's like, yeah, now it's my truck. And she kicks him out. I get the feeling that Nan is, like, wanted in, like, 13 states. <laughs> Ah, uh, she has different wigs. Just like a bunch of different characters coming into like a lineup room in a police station being like, yep, that's her. Okay, and, next. And a yep, bunch that's of her. dead husbands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I get the feeling she really actually is quite fond of Abner. She's like the wife in Adam's family. That might be. And like Abner's the one that she's decided she actually likes and yeah. doesn't kill. That's I'll, the that's a good canon accepted. I get that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. So she runs up. She's like, Abner, my little Abner's found. She always calls him like my little Abner. Like he's a baby. Wait, is that a reference to little Abner? 
I don't know, maybe. Huh. But she's like, my little Abner from the Crown Jewels. And she, she's like, tell me I'm pretty. She, she keeps doing that through the whole yeah, movie. That's it's weird. creepy. Tell me I'm pretty. Give me a kiss. Like little commands. They're think, commands. Like I he's think, a little, a little baby dog. You know, I was, we were talking earlier before the podcast about like why I kind of like wasn't into this character as a character. And I think part of it is just that like she represents everything I don't look for in a woman. Like, just I like wouldn't that say that, of, actually. She's uh, very assertive. And she, you like assertive women. I do, but, but not uh, to the extent of like, it's it gets very well, weird. Well, this character seems to me like it was written by somebody that doesn't like women very much. I think that's what I'm, I think that's what I'm reacting <laughs> to. I think that's actually exactly what I'm reacting and to. And I think, and it's a vibe that you get from the Temple of Doom, actually. Oh, it's like somebody just watched <laughs> the Temple of Doom she and was like... Ki- she is kind of Willie Scott. She's a yeah. portrait of like what men don't like oh, about women, basically. That's fascinating. That's very fascinating. And, and, you know, I'm not making any assumptions about the writing staff. I'm just saying that's no, no, what no, no, it no. feels like. No, that, putting it in that context, it actually does make a lot of sense for this movie. And you're right. I mean, she is assertive, but she also has like all this other weird behavioral baggage. That well, She's an extreme, like, you know, the, your strengths are your weaknesses. Like, yes. It's also a bad thing how assertive she is. Correct. But she she cuddles Abner and she's like, my old Abner found the crown jewels. And he's like, no, we didn't end. There weren't any crown jewels. And I do appreciate that she actually doesn't yell at him. She's just like, this is Ernest's fault. This is all Ernest. I'm glad she doesn't at least take it out on her husband. Right. But she does take it out on Ernest. She calls him an inane redneck. Again, people keep calling Ernest or it's whatever. And then he actually defends Ernest. And he's like, Ernest has actually helped me. He's changed my life. You know, he's basically taught him to take risks. Right. And be assertive also. And she's like, well, I'm sorry. I just don't see it. And then... uh, and then it gets weird. Can we? So I have questions about this. Okay. Why is Abner's analog for what manhood is? First, say what happens. Well, first, he like grabs her and like dips her. Yeah. And like plants this huge kiss on her. Yeah. It's like a big movie kiss. It is. It's very like, and he almost dips her away from the camera, which is odd. But then he, he like pulls her back up and starts talking like Elvis. Yeah. Like that's his idea. Mid-century. Mid-century, guys. Oh, you're totally right 50s, again. 1950s. 1950s man. Mm. But that's his thing of what he just starts making Elvis noises. He's like, that enough clear enough for me, babe? Uh-huh. Like, like, yeah, it's very. Like, he just suddenly, beca- like there's no reference earlier to him thinking Elvis is manly or like wanting to aspire to be like Elvis. It just it's suddenly. Just, it's just a fact. Yeah. I could go as far as saying there is no reference to Elvis Whatsoever. in any other Ernest no, movie before ev- this. No, I've been vandalized by Elvis. Oh, that's true. Never mind. <laughs> Thank God your mind is a steel trap, Aaron. <laughs> but it's crazy. And Nan is like, ooh, like that changes her mind. She's like, all right. Yeah, that yep. was great. That's true. She falls in line immediately. She's like, okay, sure. If As long as you keep those kisses coming, I'm all good. So like, so Abner, infused with confidence, he runs off back to Ernest. Like, okay, Ernest, we're friends again. But he doesn't find Ernest. He just finds the hat. He's like, oh, God, they've got Ernest. The hat, by the way, we never see Ernest without his hat, except for a couple of times in this movie. But what is like Indiana Jones, intrepid explorer known for is having a very specific hat. That's right. Lots of browns. Because the hat is a symbol of Ernest. Like him finding the hat is actually a little bit heartbreaking. He's like. They got him. Yeah, it's always like the hat as the symbol of, oh, this character is dead. Yeah. So he's like, they've got Ernest. So he runs over off to rescue Ernest. And they've got Ernest strapped to this gurney, right? Yeah, it's a very weird like, got, horror oh, movie thing almost. It's upsetting. They've got Ernest strapped to this metal table, you know, like where you would cut up a 
cadaver. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say you were on the money earlier. It's like yeah, it's like from he's a, a pathologist. Yeah, they've actually like drawn lines all across his forehead. Like, were they gonna Cartoon. saw his head off? Yeah, they're just gonna cut the top of his head off with the crown on it. I mean, I would, I would assume that you Ernest... still have the top of a head inside. Like, how is that? Does that help? Being a cartoon character, I would assume Ernest's head is threaded for easy access. <laughs> grief. I actually really enjoy Ernest's stalling tactics. He's like, are you going to give me like an anesthetic or a bullet to bite? Or like, <laughs> Modern anesthetic has been used successfully in operating theaters since the early 1840s. And who are we discovered the success of modern medicine? <laughs> I don't know if he's right, but he's talking a lot. I believe it. I appreciate people that can talk a lot. And so they've got what they call a cranial bone saw. I don't know if this is a real thing. <laughs> But it's pretty terrifying. Bone saw it's, a is ready. it's a small circular saw. They put it to Ernest's head, and you're like, oh God. This is very disturbing, actually. Oh God, this is going to happen. This is really going to happen. And of course, what really happens is the bone saw comes back up into frame, and all of the blades are like bent. Good thing you hit the hard end. So his head is so hard that the bone saw actually can't cut it. I do appreciate that they set that up. They, they actually established the early sure. on his head is impenetrable. So Ernest, then he has this remote control on his, they put this remote control for the table on his chest. Why would you ever give Ernest the remote control for anything? He picks it up and he spins the He's table an engineering around. genius. It knocks all the bad guys down. And then he manages to get the table like into a standing position so he can walk away with it still strapped to his back. Right. Everybody is knocked out except for Dr. Glencliff who like chases Ernest out of the room with a gun. He's going to shoot Ernest, but then Ernest is saved by the mighty work boys who appear oh, again. Yeah. They use the vacuum cleaner to like suck Dr. Glencliff, yeah. like, oh, like, into the vacuum. I cannot get Dr. Glencliff's name. That's yeah. not a real name. What was his first name? Radner? Yes. Radner? Gl- nope, not a real name. But they use, like, a high-powered vacuum to, like, suck him away, and then the batteries die or something? What happens? The power goes out. Yeah, I guess so. And then Dr. Glencliff just knocks them out with one punch. Like, he punches both of them at the same yeah. time, which the pa- is kind of great because they share they're, a brain. They're connected. Yeah. They get, I love that they share a brain and then they get knocked out with the same punch. He summoned all of the evil into <laughs> one fist and then just cold cocks them. And Ernest runs into Dr. Glencliff's office, probably the worst place to run at this point. Yeah. He actually runs in and there's like a sarcophagus with the spikes. It's like an Iron Maiden almost. He goes into that and he closes it and all the spikes go into him and you just hear like, a little boink sound. I wish that they had later shown him like drinking some orange juice and like having it all come out of like <laughs> no, a bunch of holes. Not a but I just wanted, I just was like, oh, take that gag all the way. Also, Abner and Nan both get past the security guard that's guarding Dr. Glencliff's office. Like, Abner comes by and he gets passed by, he, he like compliments the guard's uniform. The guard has like a weird amount of like medals and stuff for yeah. just like a building security yeah, guard. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So when he points it out, he's like, yes, I do have a lot of badges. And he's like, is that like a uh, something badge? And the guard looks down and he just punches the guard yeah. and then makes an Elvis sound again. Yes. What is his thing with Elvis? Elvis is the manliest man you could possibly be. Swagger, I guess. It's swag. At this point in the movie, Abner is all shook up. And then Nan comes by later, and the guy is unconscious. This is one of my favorite parts, because Nan comes by, and she goes, Oh, you poor dear, what happened? And he's like, this guy got past me, but you can't go there. And she's like, oh, I think I can. And she just, like, kicks him in the head and (laughs) knocks him out again. And now... Dr. Glencliff has run into his office. He's chasing Ernest around. He's shooting Ernest with this huge, like, antique it's gun. Like it's like a musket. Yeah. 
And but he's like blowing the crap out of all exactly. of his like priceless. Yes, er, ben, a good word. Brent Franklin's kite is Gone. obliterated. Like it, some some bust. Like the face is blown in. It's like yeah. Ernest is just like hiding behind all these things, and Doctor Glencliffe is just like blowing them apart. These are his things. Is, I don't understand. Is it just like he's so rich? And he's so enraged. evil. I think he's at this point he is enraged mm. by Ernest. I think at this point he really wants to see Ernest die because he's so angry that the bone saw didn't work. Now, oh yeah, my money couldn't buy something, and then my evil didn't work either he can't he's, he's got 12 it. phds <laughs> and not one of them can help him figure out how to best Ernest p Worrell. that's true and Ernest is like doing all well, these he's things. upset because he's getting beat by Ernest, and Ernest is really dumb so how could he beat him i don't know how does that work i don't know Ernest actually is like doing like this carnival gag where he like he's behind the table and going back and forth and it's just you just see the hat yeah. going <laughs> yeah. back and forth hurry hurry step right up three shots for a dollar little girl you couldn't hit that broad side of a barn. I love that the whole time Ernest is suggesting, like, we still haven't tried, like, Mrs. Buttersworth. We Which, haven't tried Olive movie, Oil. I was like, Why? These he's are like, totally he's, right. He's very he's reasonable. He's 100%. Yeah. Again, like, the guy is not, he's not in his right mind now. He's Correct. actually enraged. He wants Ernest dead. Yes. He actually, he runs out of bullets, and that's when he starts grabbing, like, yeah, a crossbow. Oh, like an axe, I think he has? He grabs an axe, right? It's huge. It's got a giant blade with, like, a, a spike on the back. And Ernest is actually, like, running out of bullets, huh? Like, that. he <laughs> he needs to know when to quit. Ernest is watching the same movie we he are. He doesn't know when to quit. He is watching the same movie we are, because... The guy is dragging this gigantic axe behind him across the floor, and he's yelling at Ernest, like, you broke my cranial bone saw, and worst of all, you demolished my mummy. He's still angry about the mummy. I love that that comes back. Well, it's like, hey, guy, you then proceeded to, like, blow the crap out of the rest of your room. Well, that's like... the thing. is like he's saying, and you demolished my mummy, and Ernest is like, you're tearing up your floor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, like, like he... Your He's, rug guy. <laughs> like, yeah. But all it does is make him angrier. Ernest pointing out the inconsistencies yeah. in uh, Dr. Glenn. That just makes uh, him really angry. Actions. He actually throws this giant net on top of Ernest. Like, it's an antique net. It's like a cartoon net. And then... He's about to chop off Ernest's head. Like you do. With an axe. Can we just say this is the second movie in a row where someone attempts yeah. to chop off Ernest's yeah. head with an axe? Yeah, it's really upsetting. And Ernest is actually trying, again, he always tries to talk his way out of it. He tries to talk so much that it'll distract the person and they'll forget what they were doing. He's it never like, works. No, the dog ate my homework. My foot's asleep. I've got to go to the bathroom. Uh, I haven't had a What saves him is Abner runs in. He still has the metal boomerang. Right. He throws it. It hits Dr. Glencliffe in the head. Dr. Glencliffe is knocked unconscious. And yeah. he saved. It's all good. It's well, all good. He's saved because the empowerment that he brought to Abner's life. That's right. Brought him back around to being on Ernest's side. And being a, an Ernest. Yeah. Because that's what Ernest would do. I don't know if he's an Ernest, but maybe we can say he's team Ernest. Sure, he's team Ernest. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there's more to being in earnest than just... You're right. Than earnest. throwing boomerangs at yeah. people. It's true. Not, uh, not to overstate things here, which we never do on this podcast. Uh, so Abner runs over. He's like, Ernest, you're all right. It's, it's sweet. And then he sees the crown. And I like that the crown is secondary to Ernest's safety. Sure. You're all right. And also you're wearing the crown of England. That's great. <laughs> He's like, I can't believe it. And Ernest is like, feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> It does feel good to have a win, doesn't it? And at this point, Nan comes in, and this is another example of how Abner has finally, like, he's also gotten the respect of his wife. I think that's the thing, is that she didn't respect him. Mm. This is where we see that he's finally earned her respect. She comes in, and she starts tearing into Ernest, like, Ernest, take off that crown. You're always taking credit for things you didn't do. You take off that crown I've right seen away. those other movies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But then Abner's like, Nan, 
cool it, babe, like in his Elvis voice. Yeah. And she immediately backs down. She actually says to Ernest, but those sapphires really do bring out your eyes, which is absolutely true. All right. I'm just saying, she's on point. <laughs> and then the His Royal Majesty's Secret Service comes in. Well, and then it really does kind of become sword in the stone. Yeah, Ernest is wearing the crown of England on his head. Therefore. They're like, yes, he who wears the crown shall be king. I don't think that is at all how it works. Not I, at all. My note was Charles would be so pissed. <laughs> That Ernest usurps him against the throne. <laughs> All I had to do was put it on my head. It's a fair cop. First, you have to find the real one. It's in Virginia. That's FYI. true. FYI. By the laws of Great Britain, he who wears the crown shall be king. Oh, no, no. I, I don't take well to responsibility. And besides, I'd, I'd have to learn the language. Know what I mean? Ernest's reaction is so cute. He's just like, oh, no, I don't take very well to responsibility. But see, this is, if he had a job, he would never leave it. He's too loyal. So the fact that he doesn't have a job means it's a possibility that he could be the king of England. I suppose. But it's too much responsibility. I also think there's an element of, you know, to go back to the drifter he's thing. He's a free spirit. It's like, well, you know, it's very nice of you to offer me the crown ship, but I, I really should be moseying along yeah. now. And he's got to, like, walk out of the <laughs> building and the off the... sack of the stick yeah. on his shoulder. <laughs> Never saw the road warl again after that day. Oh, man, I really want an earnest film that's the road warl. It's just a post-apocalyptic future. That'll be our comic. Oh, yes. Okay, the road warl, wandering into different post-apocalyptic situations, helping people out and moving on along. Yeah. He's like the doctor in Earthbound Doctor Who. But Ernest is like, yeah, he says, I don't take world responsibility. It almost made me think, I wonder if he left behind some whole other life where it's like a family. And everything. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Good lordy. I don't know about that. I hope not. Well, Ernest also then says, besides, I'd need to learn the language. Yeah. Which is a great joke. It's not entirely untrue. He needs to learn to say status quo instead of status quo. <laughs> when he does decide to accept his responsibility, we'll make him a handy list of, he of things learn... he might find confusing just to avoid those embarrassing situations like to... pants, needs... trousers. Yeah, he needs to learn to say lifts instead of elevators, yes. chips instead of fries, and biscuits instead of cookies. This would be <laughs> when he orders biscuits and gravy and they literally give him cookies and gravy. That's why he would be so confused. He would have to learn the language. It would be a whole new world of synonyms for him to take on. He'd love it. Ernest, do it! Ernest, do it! Needless to say, Ernest does not accept the role of King of England. Why not, though? Why not? I say it's still on the table. He could have royal blood. Abner is actually like, I'm going to miss you. Like, he immediately is like, sure, you're going to do this, right? And then, like, again, their friendship comes full circle, where now Abner does the, like, point at your chest, hey, what's that? Poke up to your nose. Ernest has finally gotten Abner to loosen up. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a symbol of loosening up. Yep. So he finally can do this joke. And Ernest is like, hey, stop that. And, like, he, he flips his head back, and the crown immediately falls off his head. Yep. I do like that. Falls off his head, and there's Jim Barney's luxurious brown wavy locks. <laughs> Looking good. <laughs> Three times. He Aaron, into Jim here's Varney. a question. Who has better hair? Jim Varney or Peter oh, Capaldi? Oh, no, don't do this to me. Go, uh, answer quick, quick. Uh, gut reaction. Uh, gut reaction. Good, both. That's a cop out. You uh, gotta pick nope. one. I can't. Nope. Pick, pick, I can't. Choose a side. I, uh, Jim. Okay. <gasps> sorry. Peter. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they roughhouse. 
Ernest doesn't have a hat on. And then it just pans over to the crown that some guy is holding over his crotch. Yeah, I thought that was weird. It was a little bit oddly placed. But it's nice. It's like they're friends. And now they're they're just besties now. And Nan's cool with it. Like, we're all good. That's the movie. It's been stuck in my head for two days. Ernest got a burn. I mean... It's a quality song. And then we immediately get a promo for the next movie. (laughs) I just realized this movie storyline has... Ernest become the king, and then Abner becomes the king. <gasps> no! Oh. Oh, thank See? you. Thank you very much. They both become the king. Oh, God. True. Very true. You cracked it. Did it. So, yeah, and I mean, that's the movie. Ernest, the most confident Ernest. If any Ernest could become the king of England, it'd be this Ernest. He has sure. the confidence. So how would we sum up Ernest Rides Again, Ernest? I think I've already said it. He's, he's, he's the a, most self-aware. Probably, yeah, swagger. The, most, the most confident, self-aware, tenacious Ernest. He's he's doing all right. And I would go on an adventure with this Ernest probably before the others. I feel like this one kind of knows what's going on. It'll, it'll be kind of okay. He's an agent of change in this movie. Yeah. Usually when Ernest is actively pursuing things, I'm kind of not a fan of it because I prefer if he's the secondary to someone else's story because I feel like he works better that way but he still kind of is that in this yeah and that's why i think it works yeah i like him you don't say i like him i'll keep i don't feel the need to be maternal to this Ernest. not really i feel like he's got it you know and i was thinking more about like the the doc brown comparisons that we made in the last episode yeah i feel like in this movie Ernest is almost like it's almost like a marty mcfly george mcfly relationship abner's kind of like the george mcfly who had doesn't have any assertive qualities and then by the end of the movie like his uh relationship with this weird guy who sort of appears in his life for a, a time and sort of helps him to become like some something of a man. Yeah. He is like the Marty to... Abner's George. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Thanks. Again, I found a lot more in this movie than I thought I would. Sure. <laughs> you know, but there are interesting things at play. I did enjoy the journey of thinking that Ernest was totally off his rocker when this movie started and then being like, oh no, he's the one that might have it together more than any of the others. Yeah, no, I didn't. I never got a sense that Ernest was off his rocker. I was worried. You have only Ernest's best interests at heart. <laughs> well, you have to make sure your baby's okay. Yeah, but he's okay, and he's needing. He's yep. My overall note of this one was it was basically national treasure with a more fitting tone <laughs> because wow. it is ridiculous and yeah, it doesn't I mean, take itself seriously. Have you seen National Treasure? No, I haven't. It's very serious and it kind of paints itself as like, this is truth. Then this, it's like, like really what National Treasure needed was more slapstick. Also, it's a really interesting choice to make it colonial and have the conspiracy revolve around King George. <laughs> like, I'll give him that. It's an interesting twist on colonial era fake history. They're painting the colonial era as like yeah. silly, which is like kind of refreshing. I don't know. Yeah. There's something fun there. Whereas National Treasure is just sort of like a nonsense retcon of American history. Yeah. They yeah. just needed Ernest. Yeah. They're yeah. Light, lighten Most things movies up. Do. You know, it's actually sad because now I've gotten to the point where I'll be watching any movie and I'll just be like, Where's Ernest? Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> you should do. I was at your place and a bunch of people were watching a movie. I was there and the movie was happening and I was just like, where's Ernest? Yeah. It Why was, is he not in this movie? It was like some movie. science fiction movie and you were very confused. Not all movies have Why Ernest, Aaron. Not- it doesn't work that way. My brain, it's really starting to change. But um, um, yeah, it was a fun ride on a cannon for 45 minutes. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening, listeners. Send in any comments or questions or answers to questions. And, uh, or questions we can answer. Follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks for sticking with us this far. We're halfway there. More than halfway there. Yep. We're in the double digits. Yep. We're going to ride this thing again. Ride. All the way to England. This cannon's going to keep going down a mountain. We will see you next time after the next extra. We will be coming to you with Ernest Goes to School. I'm sure they won't imply he's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a first time for everything. Thanks again, everyone. See you next time. Yep. Thanks, Elisa, for being on. Toodles. Take care, everybody. Cheerio. Viva la Marty.